Today, we tell the story of the triumph and tragedy of one of my great friends, Alan Wills, founder of Delta Sonic Records. Alan built Delta Sonic from nothing to be one of the most successful labels in the 2000s, with hits from the Coral, the Zootons, and more. His journey was tragically cut short in 2014, but his memory lives on. Joining me to tell this story is Anne Heston, Alan's partner, manager of Delta Sonic, and now custodian of the back catalogue. This is Eyes Wide Open with me, your host, Lawrence Eastman. Anne Heston, wow, welcome uh, to Eyes Wide Open. Thank you. Yeah, I was scrolling on uh, my phone on my YouTube suggestions and up popped Dreaming of You. And I haven't seen or heard that for years, the video at least. And uh, it said it was 20 years since the Coral made that track, made that album and I made the video. Mm -hmm. Bonkers. Bonkers, yeah. And uh, it just brought back an amazing load of memories from that period of Delta Sonic and of working with Alan and working with you. And I just thought it would be a great thing to hear the Delta Sonic story, hear it from you, and uh, just enjoy a couple of hours or more with you reminiscing mm. about, about the past. Okay. Thanks for coming on the show. Welcome, it's a lovely idea. Alan Wills, fortunately taken away from us too soon, 2014. Great, great friend of mine, and, you know, your life partner. I just thought it'd be great for us to put his story down. Mm-hmm. about the amazing time of Delta Sonic mm. the tragedy that happened to we can shed a little bit of light on that for people that may not have yeah. have known about it and he was just a, an incredible figure and one of my dearest friends I've got so many great memories about him mm-hmm. so tell us about Alan Wills and how you two came together well I think I think it was really I kind of knew of him before I met him, I kind of knew, not of him, but I kind of seen him around town and stuff like that. So I knew he was in the music business and stuff like that, but I didn't know him. And I used to live in Prescott and it was kind of, that seemed like a million miles away from any music scene. I didn't really know anybody in the music business or anything, but for some reason I knew Peasy. I can't remember why. I think there was a mutual friend we had. Peasy is like a real old friend of Alan's and was also in the music business, but I, I didn't know him in that context. And I think I bumped into them in Prescott one day. And so we we just got talking. I think Alan always said it kind of impressed him when I crossed my eyes or something when I was laughing. He thought that was quite funny. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were just kind of, we just met then, but didn't really sort of connect. And then I think, I mean, you know, in terms of like friendship or anything, we didn't sort of take it. But he anywhere. was in bands, wasn't he, Alan? He was that's... in bands, but I didn't know of yeah. any of that at the time. I didn't know anything about him. Um, but when I actually met him, properly was on the train coming back from town to mm. Prescott. We both got off at Prescott and I was like, what are you doing here? Because mm-hmm. like Prescott's mine, mm-hmm. you know? And so we got talking then and then he was kind of telling me what he was doing, which was managing bands and stuff. So tell us a little bit about Alan. Give us a little potted history of Alan Wills because he was such a unique figure. He was such yeah. an eccentric mm-hmm. guy, a, a maverick, a rebel. Yeah. Um, it was a hell of things. a lot that came before I met him, but, you know, obviously I found out about all of that along mm. the way, but... He was um, brought up in Anglesey, um, born in Bristol. He was adopted, and, and then his mother was from Anglesey, and they, they moved up to Anglesey. 
Um, so he was brought up there. and yeah, was, a Bristol Welsh twang, didn't he? Did. He did. He had like a southern accent, really, but mm. with a little <clears> bit of, I don't know, what was in there? It was a bit of a mixture, yeah. wasn't it? yeah. Uh, I was I was always quite surprised when he when he spoke because I'd seen him around town and just thought he, cause he had quite a sort of severe look. And then when I first spoke to him and he had this kind of soft southern accent, yeah. I was always quite surprised. But um, yeah, he was in bands when he came. He, I think he was eighteen when he started to play the drums, and he, he knew somebody who lived in Chester who was from Anglesey. I think it was something to, something to do with the band James. I don't know whether there was a connection there. And this guy said, "Why don't you have a go on the drums?" And he did, and it was just like he had a natural flair for it so mm. he kind of got into that and then he was in shack wasn't he in yeah he moved over to liverpool at that point yeah. when he was 18 it was kind of like step by step from anglesey chester and then somebody he knew there said you know do you want to be in a band and so i don't know what the first band was but he ended up he, he was in shack for a while um he's also i think he was in the wild swans as well for a bit with paul simpson and top with joe, joe and then Freeman. well it got to that point when alan was like right We've got to make it, you know, right, let's do a bit of pop. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so they set up top with, so that was Joe and Paul Cabana. And they were with Alan all the way through, weren't they? Yeah, well? yeah, yeah, they were Alan. friends from, yeah. I mean, I think Joe was probably 16 when he met Alan. Yeah. You know, Alan was bit, about five years older than him, I think. Mm. Um, but they were like, you know, so close forever after that. But and so, yeah, they were in a band called Top mm. and um, um, Ant and Deck. In their former life, what was the band they were called? PJ and Duncan. PJ and Duncan were big fans of Top. Wow. And one of them was crying <clears> outside <throat> a Top gig because he couldn't get in. And Joe found out and came out and got him in. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, because yeah, I, I grew up, um, my father, my dad had a rehearsal room in Liverpool called The Ministry. Oh, yeah, They opened that. in the 1980s. Yeah. And uh, all of those amazing Liverpool bands that came through in the 80s, is kind of I grew up around them. Mm-hmm. It's only four at the time or five. Um, I grew up, you know, in, in the ministry, mm. and I remember Alan vaguely. But I remember Joe because yeah. Joe was from Kirby. I'm from Kirby, oh, yeah, so yeah. we knew each other. Yeah, and but I hadn't seen them in a in a, in a long time until you know we came back round again with mm. uh, with Delta Sonic. But we're not there yet. So it yeah. happened with Top. You know, you so it happened with Top. Yeah, um, but I don't know how far it got with Top. They did a few. I think they got a deal. Mm. I think they did get a deal probably because Alan was like. I think they had a manager as well. Maybe. I think it might have been Mark Lewis who went on to do big things as well. But yeah, I don't think it made it. And at that point, Alan was like, right, I've had enough of this. Um, I've had enough of being stoned and sitting in the cafe to back, yeah. you know, pretending to be French philosophers. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I don't want to waste my life. He <laughs> just didn't smoke <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he um, decided to get into management. And I don't know how he found the first bands but and who they even were, but I know when I met him, he was managing a band called Gluebound. Gluebound, yeah, I kind yeah. of remember those. Yeah. yeah. Was it Nick Burgess? So Nick Burgess. Um, I'm not sure what his role was. He'll kill me for saying that. But okay. but, um, but Nick has gone on to massive things. Uh, I don't, you know, Gluebound did all right. And, yeah. You know, they had a material and stuff, but that eventually. Um, What's he started. doing now? Isn't he like top of one of the labels? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. co president of, I believe it's Parlophone. Wow. I need to check that. I know it begins with P. But okay. It's one of the massive ones and he's co president. He's done all right. Mm. Yeah, and he's a really nice guy, mm. Nick. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was Glue Band. And he was also managing Joe. Joe Fearon. Joe Fearon, yeah. who was in top with him. Um, and, you know, they were mates, as I say, for years. And But Joe, in his own right, was a musician. And Brilliant was, musician. Fantastic, yeah. and was like was like a professor, you know. Yeah, you, know yeah. you know, there's nothing that Joe doesn't know about any genre. I it's don't an think encyclopedic knowledge of music, yeah, isn't absolutely. it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and he was doing his own stuff 
just on his in his room on a computer and stuff like that. And he was very much into kind of I, I I don't even know how to describe what Joe was into. But it was kind of like electronic and avant-garde Euro- yeah. European disco yeah. and all kinds of mad stuff like that. But he was, you know, he was, he's, he is so talented. Mm. So Alan really, really championed Joe and was like, he wanted so much for Joe to be successful with his music because he recognized his talent. So he'd be down there at the rehearsal room all the time. Like, Come on, Joe, get mm. it finished, you know, to try and get it out. But Joe was just kind of more in, into making it yeah, rather than, I mean, making the music. Yeah, yeah. Rather than getting it finished, like he enjoyed the process. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so that happened. But was that called EVA? It, it EVA was the precursor to Delta Sonic, and yeah. EVA was like the sort of label that facilitated Joe's records going. It wasn't just Joe. There was Joe. There was Tony, a CG, uh, and Johnny John McAvoy, and somebody else. I think the Sand People, mm. which then became the Mountaineers. I think so. They. There was a series of uh, uh, clear vinyl records made from, you know, what Joe was doing and also the others around him. And they were put out on a little label called EVA, which they set up. Mm. Yeah, but that was pre-Delta Sonic. And did that lead into Delta Sonic? Because Delta Sonic was a a departure, wasn't it, really, from EVA, which was more hip-hop based. It was more hip-hop, yeah. And then he wanted to go back to guitar music. He wanted to, yeah. And he believed that there was a new cycle of guitar music brewing, or that guitar music comes in cycles. He he recognised cycles in music, and he thought there's something... And we're at the end of a guitar cycle, Yeah, because there's been Oasis, hadn't there? um, The Britpop. The Britpop thing. But yeah. then there was this new thing, like stroke. The strokes were coming mm. through and stuff like that. And Alan was like, "They, you know, we didn't say they were shit because he did mm. recognise they were all right." But he, well, actually, it was to be honest, we're jumping ahead a little bit because I think the strokes was around the same time as the coral. Mm. Um, but Alan recognised there was probably going to be another cycle due yeah. at any point, you know, soon. He was he was on the lookout. And then he, because so he was always down the rehearsal room anyway, because of Joe and they, his yeah. other friends, like Peasy was managing bands, I think. Um, and he'd gone down to see Peasy on this particular day, which you probably, I don't know, you're going to ask me about how he found the coral, which I was just about to go into. Well, well, well that doesn't mm. naturally go into because, you know, what we're, what we're laying the ground here with is that how he came to find the coral, which yeah. is which is kind of the pivot point in the story of Delta Sonic, yeah. isn't it? And I think it's so interesting to... he was out to, there. He was out there he was already out looking. There already, always buzzing around. He was yeah. always in different rehearsal rooms, you know, in studios because he knew people and, you know, or he'd be borrowing an instrument for somebody or mm. something like that. So he was always out and about and like listening and talking to people. So he 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 had his ear to the ground all the time. Mm. Yeah. So tell us about then the actual, the story of Alan finding the coral and what that was like in the early days. Because I come into the story a little bit, just a little, just bit, a little bit after that. Mm. Yeah. So he was still working with Joe. And, you know, trying to get this thing finished. But then um, I think it was Peasy who he'd gone to see at the rehearsal room. And I think Peasy had said, all oh, the kids in the, you know, the room there that you mm-hmm. might. I don't know whether he suggested he goes to see them or he told him about them. Um, and then Alan said, oh, who is it? Can I go in? And he opened the door and he saw this little gang of like urchins yeah. there, but coming out with some really interesting music and just he was just impressed straight away. You could see there was a vibe mm. and found out a bit more about them, introduced himself. And then it just kind of went from there. He just kind of somehow, in, you know, 
just got involved with them and mm. and um you know started talking to them about music and the influences that he could recognize from what they were doing he told them probably what they didn't even know about where yeah. things had come from and you know so yeah they're talking about they just ended up talking about art and music and literature you know all kinds of stuff yeah yeah, yeah so that's kind of i think where i entered the story a little bit um i remember because i got introduced to alan by from Tony Asiji, oh, you know, yeah. he was in EVA with, yeah. with, with, working with Joe. Mm. And uh, I hadn't seen Alan since I was a kid. He remembered me from the ministry, but I couldn't really remember him. But I did remember Joe. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I knew Joe from Kirby where I grew up. So that was all cool. And and at the time, I was w- working on films. And I was like an assistant director. And I wanted to be... Is that what you wanted to do? I wanted get to be a director, yeah, yeah. Get into filmmaking. And I set up a company called Stampede Films. I remember. And I got a, a, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got a loan off the Prince's Trust, mm. which uh, I bought a load of equipment with and then, you know, pretended to be a filmmaker mm. at that point in time. And, and I was just trying to get a gig and stuff and uh, got introduced to Alan and someone had said, this is this band called The Coral, mm. amazing band coming through, everyone's talking mm-hmm. about them. And uh, I was meeting with Alan and he said, okay, well, come and meet the band. Had they already released the first no, no, single, no, but it was so just being talked about? It was just being talked about. And I remember being invited to, I think it was the Motor Museum recording studio on Loch Lane. Yeah, yeah. And uh, went in with Joe. And I remember going in and hearing Shadows Fall mm-hmm. playing through the the speakers. And I was just like, wow. What the hell's that? What yeah. the hell's that? I hadn't heard anything like that. And, and it was, did you see like... Five boys yeah. in sleeping bags with pot noodles because that's what was going on. They that slept was, there all night. That, that was, was what was so you know incongruous about it was the fact that this deep dark music, yeah. Shadows Fall, was just an incredible mm. song. And these kids, they were Children, kids. They yeah. were 17, 18, mm, yeah. 19 max, still with the Berghouses mm, on. You know, yeah. the night trainers and, and the, the little bit, bowl cuts. Yeah, and yeah, I couldn't get my head around it at first. It was mm. like, how how, would, how is this how band is coming out of that? coming out how's this music mm. coming out of this this gang of kids yeah. and i knew in that moment i thought wow i want to be a part of this yeah. this is this is exciting so yeah. this is special yeah and uh i got a gig alan said would you want to follow the band around um because we're on and tour documenting and the... documenting it yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah, i went around with them with a few months just not really knowing what i was doing just pointing the camera at mm. them and collecting footage mm. And uh, yeah, that that went on for it must have been about three months. I even went to Paris with them. Do you remember that gig in Paris? So was that when he, he kind of took them out of um, circulation? Because when uh, he first got 20 involved, years was, ago. No, <laughs> twenty years ago, twenty one years ago. But it was it was it, they played under a different name. Yeah, they, he he took them, when he first got involved with them, he took them out of circulation yeah. because he knew that what they were working on mm. wasn't quite there yet, ready to launch it out there. So he kind of took them out. Because they used to have a residency in the cavern, mm. Saturday afternoons, and so he, he he wanted them to you know go and hone this other sort of you know strand of what they were doing, and kept them out the way, and then they he put them out on tour under the Urban Parisians. That's right, yeah, it was an, under a different name. Yeah, so I don't know whether was that around that time maybe. That was that, you, that yeah. was that tour, yeah. Me and Jay Melia, because Jay Melia then became <laughs> I brought bear. Jay Mealy, the bear, yeah. I brought Jay Melia in with me with, from the video angle, and he became their driver, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he came there driving for quite, quite a long time. Yeah. yeah, and we ended up driving them around the country doing the gig, yeah. doing the tour, and uh, ended up in Paris. And I was just collecting footage, and Alan was going, well, "What are we going to do with it?" I said, mm-hmm. "I don't know yet. I'm yeah, still yeah. trying to figure it out." Mm-hmm. The deal was getting closer and closer. There was mm-hmm. more and more interest happening. Take it over from there. So that was then. At that point, then it 
the buzz had obviously started if the, if the deal was kind of on the go. Mm-hmm. So he'd taken them out of circulation, back out their urban Parisians, and then he said, right, we're ready for the press to see them now. So he invited Imran from Enemy. I think it was very early days for Imran. He was just like, but anyway, so Imran came along to, you know, review the gig. And a couple of people had said to Alan, are you sure, you know, that they're ready? And he was like, yep, absolutely. And you know, when Alan went, yep, Mm. You just trusted that it yeah. was he knew, and and he was right because they played the Sheffield Lead Mill, and that's where Imran was, and where we were standing together in the audience. And I hadn't seen them since the Cavern days, and mm. I, I was I was kind of a little bit, but you know, I thought they were good, but I didn't see the side that Alan saw because they didn't really play that spooky stuff at that point. Anyway, so we're at Sheffield Lead Mill, and they came on, and oh my god, it was just mind blowing. Mm. It was ridiculous. People from there was another room in the lead mill, and everyone was coming through. It was just absolutely bonkers, and I just felt a little energy from Imran, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he went, "I feel like I've just witnessed history." <laughs> but you were first in. You see, that was the excitement yeah. as being first being in, being first in, and yeah. discovering something, and yeah. so you know that probably did help to launch his. Oh, they were just an incredible well. band at that amazing. at that point in, in time. The energy from them and the the, the tightness and the and the youth, the, the youth, they were just so good. So surprising, yeah. And um, so yeah, so that's how it kind of the buzz started. Mm. You know, they got good reviews, and then, um, he, I mean, Alan had set up a, a label as such. I think uh, using a, a, a contract that had initially been used for another company like Twisted Nerve I think it was the kind of it was like a template sort of um, situation what's a sign because this is important this because this is before the Sony deal because the deal is for me is just mega with the deal he he signed is just mega so I think let's lay the foundations of that so what was the mm. twisted nerve? Well, he secured. He had to secure the band. The to band. Him. He was kind of managing them, but he had to secure. A, he had to get a record out, yeah. and he had to secure that. So he, um, so he'd kind of asked. Uh, there was a guy called Simon Duffy who was a friend of his. Mm-hmm. Used to be, I think, um, an engineer, a producer, and he knew that Simon had worked in you know in different places, and he asked for advice. So Simon came in as a consultant and kind of said, "Well, you could you could base it on that type of of deal, which is basically." You sign them for a certain, you know, a limited, maybe like a single or an EP or something, but with a view to then having the rights to so the, you have the first option album. For the album, the option, yeah. yeah. So I think that's what we did. I think that's what he did at the time. Was set up this uh, Delta Sonic for so there was EVA for the initial hip hop stuff, mm. and then that same company then sort of morphed into Delta Sonic, but using this kind of template sort of thing um, to sign. So we had to get. Bill, who was only, I don't even know whether he was 17. Yeah. When we signed, we had to get his mum you know, to come and do the signatures <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. So um, so that was the initial deal with the band, direct with Delta Sonic. But then, you know, um, there was a buzz starting to happen around the band and people were, you know, um, labels were wanting to find out more about them and talk to them and stuff. So that's when it sort of started. But it was a to, big buzz, wasn't it? It was, it was like... It grew really fast. Yeah. All the majors. Everyone was interested. was really interested. There was a lot early on before, probably before Alan got involved that was saying, oh, it was a bit early because mm. that's what they did. They didn't, they waited until there was like a frenzy and then they'd jump in with the checkbooks. Yeah. Whereas Alan was the opposite of that. He he could see it early on and he could see the potential, which mm. is what proper a and should be, isn't it, really? Mm. And so he had that advantage over the people that would wait. 
So by this time, they weren't bothered. It's not their money they're spending, is it? It's like mm. somebody else's checkbook. Totally, so they'll just yeah. wait and then just, it's a sure thing then. But then there's a, it's obviously a bidding war um, that happens in those situations. So it got to the point where all the majors were like going, you know. Ballistic over ballistic it. And they were, yeah, turning up at our Because what, what, what I always thought was, was a real sign of Alan's character was how tight he was with the band. And how much yeah. respect they had for him and well, that, he had for them. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it was it was that that bond they had. Mm. They trusted him fully. Totally. And it and it was and it was and well they were founded. Right to, yeah, totally yeah, they were right to he was trust. Genuine hundred percent man with integrity to and especially in an industry that's full of that sharks. Was just <laughs> the opposite of that, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, he could be ruthless in his, yeah. you know, negotiations or like putting bands together and stuff, you know, their crap, get out of that band, put that band with that band. You know, because he could see the prize mm. at the end of it and he could see what worked and like where people were wasting their time mm. you know he just had a natural instinct but he also was an, a musician and an artist and passionate about mm. all of that stuff so he wanted to educate people yeah, and did, so yeah. and and so he and he was so enthusiastic that some people thought he was a bit insane because he was so enthusiastic he's but, one of the few people that i would call a mentor you know yeah, a, a handful like yeah, yeah a handful of people exactly. i could say that about him in my so, life and he was one of them you know, 100%. yeah well he went when he met the coral i mean you know i was talking to james recently and he said alan gave them all a book oh, wow like i think he gave james the old man in the sea or something and he gave Bill, uh, Jonathan Livingston, Siegel. I can't remember what he gave the others. Um, but he gave them all a book that was quite, he thought was pertinent to, to that. He'd got to know them, the mm. characters. And James said, when they're looking back now, it's so, it, it's really uncanny how those books were right, were right for each, each individual. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's what, you know, so they would get on, on a level on that basis of, of sort of the art and the sort of, and, you know, and he'd, play, he'd get them into can and, yeah. you know, all kinds of um, music that they may have not. It wasn't just music, though, it was films as well, because that's where one, films, of the, yeah. one of the way I, I connected with Alan was that my love of cinema, mm. I'd found someone who we could talk to about films yeah. and, and deep mm. level of cinema. And new and, stuff. And new, yeah, yeah. you, you and knew the, the themes and the yeah. shots and the yeah. directors yeah. and yeah. Orson Welles was... I don't know how he soaked all that information I, up. I know, was it? He's yeah. a bit autistic, wasn't he, I guess? No, I think so, I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, he knew all, all, you know, there's nothing yeah. you could ask him that he didn't seem to know or he could blag at he least. He was cool, just a cool <laughs> guy, wasn't he? He was a super cool guy. But he did, he inspired trust in all of the bands. Definitely. They knew that he was a solid person and he would fight for them. Mm. And, you know, even when it came to down the line, which is sort of fast forward a little bit, but like going down to, you know, once the major was involved and then they'd want maybe, well, you know, do you want to dress like that? Maybe we could get, mm. you know, Johnny, Johnny Blue Eyes or whatever to come and, you know, style you or End whatever. End up like Harry like, Styles. Yeah, no, no. They want to look like they do. That's yeah. how they, that's who they are. That's that's part of the charm, you know. So no, just back off and leave them alone. Whereas some people would just cave into that. Or some people would like mm. that. Mm. But they didn't want it. They wanted to be themselves and, you know, that's who they were. Yeah, he, he protected his his bands and their artistic integrity. Yeah, he, he really did. He, he really did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I always noticed that. And, um, but he um, had, you know, like... You were asking about his character, you know, he was, um, so he, he was brought up in Anglesey and probably a, a bit of an outsider in that way. Mm. So he's come to Liverpool as a, a bit of an outsider. So he probably recognised that in them as well, that they, because they were from the Wirral, so there's a little bit of outsiderness mm. to them. Yeah, and, it's good, it's good observation, think, yeah. Yeah, and I think he had a little bit of, um, well, he had a massive chip on his shoulder at first, actually. Mm. Remember when I first met him and all he did was like, 
complain and like moan about people, you know, in the business, like, oh, I don't know how, how come he's doing that and this, that and the other. I think he felt like he didn't understand why he hadn't got further quicker. Yeah. It was like it was waiting to happen. And he was like, why aren't I there now? Mm. And it was kind of frustrating for him because he knew he had the capacity. And I think it's because he didn't play the game. He didn't do networking stuff. He wasn't a social butterfly or anything like that. He didn't suck up to people. Well, he didn't, he didn't get wrecked, did he? No, he didn't. He was very, very Because that focused. was one of the, yeah. that was one of the things that impressed me about him at the beginning or, or, or intrigued me was that he was right in the center of this rock and roll lifestyle, rock and roll culture. Mm. And he was teetotal. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, was, I was, I was so impressive to me at the time because I wasn't teetotal no. back in those days. I was still young and well, I, I was re- enjoying my youth, you know. <laughs> I, but, rem- I remember once though when, because um, some people used to come back to our house, you know, like if they, if some of the A&R mm. men had come up to see him or see one of the bands. And one of them, really nice guy. Um, I can't remember. I wouldn't mention his name anyway because of what I'm going to say. But he um, had obviously partaken in some of the, you know, in coke basically yeah. that night. Yeah. Alan hadn't. And he came back to stay at ours and Alan out-talked him. <laughs> it didn't Unbelievable. Either. He was off his head. Like, and then he just like wound down and Alan was like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Oh, like, yeah, there was no stopping him. Once, once he started, there was no yeah. stopping him. He could talk for England. So he didn't need cocaine yeah. because he yeah. outdid everybody. You know, but it, but what they the, were on. the reason he became teetotal was of a tragedy earlier in his life, wasn't it, with, with his brother? Partly that, assessment. I think. It's partly that because that... Yeah, his brother um, died. His brother killed himself. Yeah. Yeah, when Alan was, I think... Deeply was, affected Alan, didn't it? It was, really did, yeah. yeah. And um, Because they were both adopted. Yeah. 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 So they were brought up together, yeah, um, in Anglesey. And I think that really did affect him. And mm. then it was very You're talking about after. it a lot. I, I, I've he had, did, had yeah. a good few conversations yeah. with Alan over his brother. Well, he had a good understanding by that point, I think, of loss yeah. and grief and death and stuff, like because that happened. Mm. And then six weeks later, you you know, you probably put it down to heartbreak if you want to call it that, but his mum had a heart attack mm. only a few weeks later. And then she so he lost two people, two most important people to him in a very short space of time, like in well, almost at the same time. Mm. And I think that really did um it affected him. You know, as just as a person, but also in 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 his whole outlook on life, and I think when he got to the point where it made him value life mm. and the and the shortness of all the possible short, you know, limits on it, and so he wanted to cram it all in. So I think he got to like thirty and thought, well, it's not happening now. Mm. You know, let's gone. crack on. Yeah, well, it always just super impressed me how he was able to maintain that self discipline. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was just natural in him. Natural, yeah, yeah. it's natural. It's like right, okay. Not having that anymore, gone. Mm. You know, focus on music was his addiction, and and finding good music and bands mm. was his addiction. I mean, he really loved it, didn't he? Yeah, and he was it really was his, yeah, it was that his that life. was his that was his driver was to find good music and hopefully yeah. make some money from it. But his yeah. motivation was the music, wasn't his it? It was the was art. Like, towards the end, yeah. towards like when the 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 um, contract really cared about comes it, to the yeah. end, it was like. Oh my God, come on, give us a cold play. <laughs> you know, he was getting to that point yeah, yeah. where money would be nice as well. Yeah. But it wasn't about that. It was about the journey. It was about finding like the, the diamonds in the rough and mm. and creating with, with them something that was, you know, special. Mm. And that's what he was always looking for that. So tell us about the actual deal itself. Because for me, I think Alan Wills' genius can be reduced down to that deal. Mm. Because that deal was just so, so 
groundbreaking yeah. and it launched a thousand ships mm. there's so many people that were able to benefit yeah. from still Alan are, no? still are mm. including me you mm-hmm. know and uh you know I kind of largely thank Alan for my career you know mm. my filmmaking career but um yeah it was just such an amazing deal the way he was able to negotiate it the way he was able to execute it mm. and uh, pull it off it was, it was just legendary and I think mm. a, a lot of that was to do with his relationship with the coral in that they were backing him yeah is that no yeah. major could get around him to backdoor them because they were loyal yeah. to Alan Alan was loyal to them and, and I think he that, knew was that he the, had that belief that was the leverage yeah. he was yeah. able because you don't want to go into any you don't want to go into any negotiation unless you've got leverage yeah. and he had and he tons had of it yeah he had tons of it yeah and yeah. it was always for me just like it was a, a, such a, a genius move being able to reroute um some of the capital that these global corporations have, like Sony, mm. and they're able, he, he was able to root that cash and that energy into Liverpool, Liverpool. and create, yeah. a, you know, a multitude of opportunities mm. for people from all walks of life. It yeah. wasn't just musicians. Yeah. It, for, so for me, that I always look back on that as like, wow, I'm amazed that he did it. So tell us a little bit about the actual events around it. Um, you know, we knew we had to get a good lawyer. Yeah. To deal with it. Well, I mean, prior to the de- deal even happening, there was all these, you know, labels mm. kind of trying to get in there. And, you know, they were turning up to our house. This is the power he had. He didn't have to go down and see them yeah. in London anymore. And he, I think he kind of reveled in it a little Definitely. bit. He was like, why don't you come up? It's a Prescott, you but know. But he didn't even invite him to Liverpool, did he? He didn't no, say, Prescott. let's go meet a bar in, or a cafe. Come to our house in Prescott. Come to our house in Prescott. And we had yeah. a semi-detached house and he would take them in the back room, mm. you know, and like... You know, you're interested. In, I know you're interested in the coral. We've also got listen. Wait, we hear this, and so like you know, we played them. There was Captive a audience. Yeah, and you knew <laughs> that that's what they wanted, but yeah. you knew that there was also this other stuff that, in a way, was great for them because it meant that they could. You know, mm. it was like um, it was a bargain, wasn't it? Really, because well, they were getting more than just one. I was speaking to Jamie, your son, my yeah. friend, uh, and it was I was asking him about you know the, some of the events with Alan. He said, mm. I remember coming back home once to, yeah. to Prescott and he said and there was about four limousines yeah. outside the yeah. house waiting <laughs> yeah, in waiting, line waiting in turn to, yeah. to come in and see if they could close the yeah. deal yeah. yeah it was hilarious yeah. one of them was on um, 9-11 on the day wow. that it happened um, yeah I think it was was it GoDiscs or somebody um, and we had a TV on the wall in the back room where he was entertaining all these executives and it wasn't just like this was the top executives coming up it wasn't you just so we came to negotiate the deal in 9-11 came happened. to negotiate the deal or, or to talk about yeah what yeah. the possibilities would be and um and somebody must have buzzed through and said put the tv on this you know and so that came on and everyone was like oh my god so obviously the conversation stopped because mm. it was all about that then but that obviously you know that was a bit of a mad one but in general yeah so we had all these limousines turning up to the god knows what the neighbors thought yeah. we were up to so so the, the coral had created that much excitement yeah, yeah. that all of these major record mm-hmm. labels were willing to travel to prescott yeah. in limousines to try and close yes. the deal and alan was playing he that he was having a ball <laughs> playing the music that he'd yeah. been trying to get you know he'd been knocking on you know for, mm. like when i met him he'd been managing bands and like getting meetings with people and now it was like now it's my turn. Mm. So, but the Coddle wasn't the only band he had at that time. He had a bit of a stable growing and it got the, bigger. It was growing the stable, yeah. yeah. So there were, the Zootons had kind of um, formed at that point. I think the Coral introduced him to Dave McCabe, who yeah. was doing, he had been in another band, Tramp Attack, but he wasn't then. Mm-hmm. I think he was doing his own thing. And um, I don't 
I don't know whether he'd called it the Zootons at that point. I can't quite remember. But anyway, they were involved. So they were part of the stable. Mm. Um, I don't think Abby had joined at that point yet. And then there was um, the Sam... Sam Band? Sam Band. They were the Sam... Because that stayed... Um, yeah. yeah, that's... No, no, it was the Sam people, I think. But then they became the Mountaineers. Okay. So yeah, he had them. Was that Danny? Was it from the Mountaineers? No, Danny Connors. That oh, was. Danny Connors. So that was another one. So there was Danny Connors. Yeah. There was the Mountaineers who were called Sand yeah. People. Um, they were from Wales, and then there was the Zootons. I think. I think that was it at that time. But so that was the collection that he was kind of playing people. And they, to be honest, <clears> it was all good stuff. So they, yeah. you know, they were quite impressed with what the whole, you know, labeled was being, you know, the label that was being offered to them. Mm. Um, it, it soon became apparent that he wasn't just prepared to just do a deal with us, sign the coral off. Yeah. It was like, no, this is going to be a label deal yeah. and I'm going to be in charge of the label mm. and I want autonomy. And, Amazing. you know, and then... So were they all buying into that, that idea? Yeah, because they were all like, that's what, you know, yeah. it's all about that, isn't it? It's all but about the, the is, negotiation. Is that, but what, what he was doing with that was, was creating... A, a sanctuary, if you like, for for bands yeah. who wanted to maintain yeah. their artistic that integrity. He could put his arms around yeah. and protect. And from... the major labels couldn't come in and overly influence yeah. the career of these young kids and yeah. the bands and take them off in directions they didn't yeah, want to go. It was early days for them, and he could yeah. see where you know where they could get to. Mm. And so yeah, it was it was exactly that. It was like starting a kind of a sanctuary almost. Yeah. So, but then he he had a friend, uh, Josephine, who was a lawyer in the music industry, and I th I think that's where the connection came he knew he needed a good lawyer to mm. kind of set up a good deal you know when it became apparent it was going to be a label deal so i think she might have worked for richard richard bray um either that or she introduced alan to richard and richard's a brilliant guy and he he came up uh with alan with this deal over you know several years and it was just a brilliant deal mm. so it was like it was a joint venture who got the gig and why did they get the gig so eventually Sony got the gig and it was because really it was Rob Stringer. Yeah. So Rob Stringer was the head at Sony at the time. Sony Music in UK, in wasn't UK, it? In the UK, yeah. He's yeah. now obviously gone on to like world Well, so, so Rob Stringer is now the CEO of, of Sony everything. Entertainment. Yeah. yeah, he's like the, the yeah. head honcho at Sony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And r what a nice guy. Brilliant. But he kind of came along a little bit later on, to be honest. Mm. I think... Um, were they waiting in the wings, you think? I think they were probably yeah. waiting in the wings. I think they'd sent an A&R man like early on, mm. maybe even before Alan and, and that whoever that. I don't know who that was. And they'd said it was early days. We'll keep an eye. So he kind of, he didn't get involved in the frenzy, I'd say at the, like, you know, in the middle of it all, he kind of was one of the later ones to turn up. But I always um, remember Alan had a good relationship with Rob Stringer. Did. I think that was one of the reasons he got the gig, wasn't it? Yeah, was, yeah, was that he, he was. He, he respected him the most, I think. Out he of respected the... him and he could tell that Rob Cared. respected him. Yeah, okay. As well, you know, because I think people, I think he felt underestimated initially, mm. you know, for, for a few years. I think he, he felt like... Imposter I, syndrome. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I don't think he had that. I think he, it was the opposite of oh, that. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, no, he thought he should have been there a long time before. <laughs> but <laughs> what the hell like, going on? Yeah, yeah, why aren't I there now? Yeah. I think their relationship is kind of what made the early part of Delta Sonic a success. Mm. was because Rob Stringer had Alan's back. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He respected him. He understood that he was a bit of a maverick, but he had the Talent. right view and he, and he knew that the band really respected him. And so that yeah. was, you know, and also he did have a connection because he was friends from like university or whatever with uh, their uncle, with, with James Carl's and Ian's uncle. uncle. Wow, what a coincidence. Uncle 
can't remember his name now. Yeah. But anyway, he was friends with him from uni, so they, there was there was a connection. Mm. That's not anything to do with it, really, but it just happened to make it a little bit easier, a little bit nicer, because they, they were then more likely to be a bit more sort of open to... Because he had a reputation, something. Rob Stringer, of... of um being good with the artists, even he though was. he was a high-level executive. Yeah, he was. And yeah. he was also good with us, with the label, because I remember, I don't know whether you came, maybe you did, we were all invited down. To Mercury. No, it wasn't the Mercury. It was before... Oh, maybe it was. Maybe it was after. No, I don't think it was. We went to Sony's HQ. I don't know whether it was a launch party or something. But anyway, there was loads of... Um, uh, discs you know like gold uh, discs, gold discs. Yeah. and they had them made for all of us yeah, like, I got so, one. yeah did yeah, you get yeah, one yeah, yeah. so i got one nikki and karen who worked it's the, the only prize i've ever one. had in my life thanks oh. rob <laughs> <laughs> but what a nice thing to do and yeah. how like motivational you yeah. know it was really motivating for the team he, mm. he respected the team and he made us feel like we were valued mm. so mm. the actual deal itself yeah. because it was so so groundbreaking in terms of everyone who, who benefited from it mm. what was the deal well, it was a joint venture, yeah. so it was a 50-50 joint venture with Sony, but Sony put all the money in, which was nice. Yeah. But then obviously Alan found all the bands and, and, and developed them. So there was a two, it was two parts to it. So there was an overhead and then there was another part, which was the development fund. But then there was also all the promotion and marketing spend. Mm. You know, which so you had Sony to do the marketing side of things. They and, did that. Know. We liaised with them because yeah. we had to keep an eye on it, obviously, to yeah. make sure that it was going the way we wanted it to go because he had a clear vision mm. of how we wanted the band to be, you know, put out there. So, um, but all of that. So, you know, and, and it was, I think, initially, was it a seven or eight year deal? I can't remember. Seven, wasn't it? But yeah, but squeezed another year out of it. Alan got another year out because they made a mistake. There's, a te- <laughs> there's some kind of uh, yeah. technical hitch yeah, so, or something. So, so, uh, yeah. so I come back into it a little bit then. So, uh, yeah. so I've been following the Coral Round yeah. for months, right? Mm. And Alan was asking for the film. I was going, oh, that's not, I don't know, it's mm. not ready, it's not ready. And I went, I'll do it when I'm going on holiday. Mm. I said, I'll do it when I get back. And he said, okay, no problem. Yeah. He said, you know, we're close to a deal. We're close to a deal. Right. I said, okay, yeah, great. So I went to Thailand and I'm sitting thinking about the film and I come home. I'd been traveling for at least 24 hours, mm. right? I was mm. absolutely, absolutely knackered. wiped out from mm. chaos in Thailand and then a 24-hour journey. Walk through the door and my dad goes to me, Alan Wills has been trying to get older. You have constantly, he said, ring him straight away. So I was like, okay, I rang him and said that. He said, no, 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 we did the deal. We did the deal. Sony want your film. How quick can you deliver it? <laughs> so, oh, oh, oh. oh my God. Yeah, so, so I said, a week? He went, yeah, okay, a week. I'll see you tomorrow, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I literally just got home and he mm. told me he'd done the deal. He wanted the, the Coral documentary and I was like, that was it. I was under pressure then yeah. I had to deliver yeah. for the first this time. This is real now. This is real. <laughs> <laughs> this is real. And then... Um, I went to sleep, slept as long as I could, got up the next day, went to a local studio, Julie Lau. She gave me the studio, she helped me out, and I edited with a guy called Patrick Hall, and we spent a week editing this little documentary and uh, delivered it to Alan. The band loved it, Alan loved it, fortunately Sony loved it. Yeah. Was this for the EPK? It was the EPK, yeah. yeah. So it was it was the band going on tour around the UK, ending in Paris. I mean, it was the absolute beginning of my filmmaking yeah. career, yeah. so it's yeah. quite crude, some of the mm. techniques that I used back then. But mm. uh, yeah, I look back at it fondly, oh. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and then um, they said, Pleasure. okay. He went, do you want to do the first music video, which was Skeleton Key? Bloody hell. Yeah, and that kind of... Oh, I remember that. Yeah, was that done over here on the Wirral? Skeleton Key was filmed in Liso Lighthouse. Thought it was, because, the, yeah, there was all those, like, weird buildings. Well, the, the Coral had established a really kind of 
cool, macabre, like Victorian yeah. visual style. Yeah. And, you know, it suited my tastes and my sensibilities. So I just developed mm. that idea and uh, ran with it. Like, so it was consistent with what they'd already yeah. done, you know? Yeah, so it didn't change the tone particularly. It no, was kind of yeah, so we went along with it and uh, yeah, we did the music video. Some of it was on tour as well because we carried on a second tour, I think it was, and got some footage there. But yeah, it was a performance video at Liso Lighthouse. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I wanted to go to like somewhere cool in Europe yeah. but the collar were like no no no, no. the will okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that became a theme then yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, so yeah so tell us about from, from there from doing the deal and how heavy, everything changed so yeah so deal you know deal done uh, mm. Rob Stringer in place and everything you know all the team and everybody's all uh, well we got we bought the office because um, we had money then so mm. we bought the office and then we got Nikki and Karen in I just thought well, I don't know who to employ for this type of thing so we went to the Liverpool Uni and found the best students from that course from the business uh, music business course and they were brilliant and they stayed with us for yeah. forever really yeah, I remember um, yeah. yeah so yeah so the team was there that was all in place and then you know Alan just uh, cracked on with it because that was so, the thing wasn't it it was one thing pulling that deal off and that deal was an amazing amazing deal mm. I don't know anyone that's done as good since at mm. least in the north or the northwest but the next challenge came, which was delivering. Back it up now. Back it with up. With all your big talk. Let's yeah. see what you can come up with. But he knew, obviously, he knew what the coral had. He knew, and he knew that the Zootons had some really brilliant stuff as well. So yeah. he, he, he he had no problem with that. No. It was just the detail. So obviously producer and stuff like that. And they had, um, the coral had, how did that, now the coral had been on tour. And um, I think it was, was it Rob Stringer? No, I know what it was. They'd done that recording in the Motor Museum. Mm. And Ian Brody heard that recording. The Shadows Fall one. Yeah. yeah. So he heard that. And then he contacted Alan, as Alan was kind of thinking about who would be good to do the album. It was an interesting choice, that. wasn't it? Because mm. Ian Brody, Lightning Seeds, quite pop. He was a bit of a lull as well at the well, time. He was quite poppy as well, yeah, wasn't he? It was, it was quite, yeah. I thought it was an unusual choice. Yeah. Maybe, a, you know, it was a good contrast to the yeah. Coral's kind of like um, darker, deep psychedelic. Sort of, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, it's very hard to categorize the Coral, mm. isn't it? You don't know where to I put know, them. But, you know, you definitely know where to put Ian Brody. Yeah. And I thought that was a, an interesting, unusual pairing. And he, and he had good reason. I can't remember. I couldn't tell you what they were, you know, you'd have had mm. to ask him but he he had he wouldn't have done that lightly he would have looked at that and looked at maybe what Ian had done previous to that and what he could bring to it with his you know with his style Rob Stringer was friends with he was friends Brody. with him but I don't think it had anything to do with that other than maybe Ian may have given Rob a ring and said what do you think shall uh, I put my name I don't know yeah. how it worked but he did contact Alan direct mm. and um and Alan was like you know what and I think he had a little think about it and thought that might that could work mm. So, because it was two thousand and two, now twenty years ago, that oh, the yeah. first album was uh, was recorded and released. Yeah, yeah. I think that before the bloody internet was really out there right. properly, wasn't it? It was right, like yeah. it was MySpace. I think I was talking to James from the Coral yeah. unit recently, and he likened it to. He said, "I think." He said, "I don't think I'm exaggerating when I liken it to the difference from between you know the transition from uh, the silent movies to the." talking pictures yeah. he said it was that drastically different mm. you know the change from that to um you know from the way things were done before to this 
online thing and you know and then obviously it just went bonkers after that didn't it, it look massive. Like cassettes or vinyl then it went to cassettes cassettes being this whole new technology yeah. right of of you know condensing music into a small mm. little unit yeah. that's now How obsolete yeah right cds, and then CDs, you remember CDs and that was like, like the really height of, the height of technology yeah. wasn't it now that's obsolete yeah you know, so That's we've gone like through these technological yeah. innovations mm. at rapid speed. I yeah. think we may settle on streaming for a while I because think probably because I don't know where, where else gonna... would you go from from the stream no idea. and maybe straight what... direct into the brain. That's where it's going to get streamed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I think you know that 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 transition around that time mm. it was with the internet because it was only really just was. I mean, I don't know when people really weren't commonly using. It was the that, phone, wasn't it? It was, the, it was, it was like two thousand, like the end of the nineties, wasn't it? Really, yeah. when it started to kind of, really, kind of. But I think it transformed with the iPhone, didn't it? That went yeah, the moment the internet was yeah. fully on phones. Yeah, and that's, and that's quite went. a long time. Yeah. After that, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, well, not a long time, but it was. It, it started around that point, and mm. it was like it, we were still having one foot in the old system. And then this transition was happening. And well, there's no physical product anymore, is there? No, it's not tangible. It's it's it's, it's like a, and I didn't think I'd a like virtual that. product. Yeah, but I, I even I'm getting used to it because of the yeah. convenience of mm -hmm. it. You mm -hmm. know, I am used your to your whole it. collections on your phone, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. CDs can go go in the bin. So okay, mm -hmm. so tell us more about the the recording of the Coral's first album because it's hot right now because it's twenty because years it's ago. Twenty years ago, and, yeah. And I, and I listened to it myself recently when I seen the video and it was like, wow, that was such a, such a powerful debut album mm. from five kids yeah. that they were able to deliver this level of depth mm. and musical quality. Yeah. It was just so good. It yeah. was so energetic and I loved it. I yeah. loved being around it and yeah. I loved being a part of it. Yeah. It was just so cool. What was, what was it like from your end? Well, cause we were kind of, I say we, I'm thinking of me, Nikki and Karen and the other people. Because you were the running team. the label behind the scenes. Alan was being all, you know, visionary. Well, wasn't it was, you, it, it was, you were running the nuts and bolts. I, yeah, yeah. In, in, in the sort of backroom yeah. scenario, yeah. I mean, I will never, you know, it's, it was always Alan's label and it, he always had a little thing that he didn't ever <laughs> want it to be the Richard and Judy show. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to be Judy, you know. So it was like, so it never was that, but. He did need that of behind him because yeah. his brain was so like everywhere, you know, mm. like he, he couldn't be asked sitting down and no. doing detailed things. So, yeah, so I was doing that with Nikki and Karen. So we were seeing it from a different perspective from them, mm. as in the band and like um, Alan and Ian and Joe and whoever else was involved. So we was, but it was still exciting because there was such a buzz going on. I'd be like yeah. Sony ringing up every five minutes asking, you know, for this, that and the other. And then, and I remember when, um, remember when Shadows Fall was, because it must have been being promoted. It was, I can't remember now. But anyway, I remember when it first came on Radio 1. And for some reason, I was driving around Sefton Park with Nikki or Karen. And it came on Radio 1, well, Shadows Lord. Fall. Yeah, And we were like, oh, my God. Remember when that was a thing, Radio 1? Radio 1, <laughs> afternoon play, Mark yeah. Lard. Yeah, That's what you like, couldn't bloody beat that. We put the windows down. We just were like... It was just bonkers. Mm. It was just so so that was, you know, it was it was the excitement around it. And then, you know, there was there was just so much sort of, you know, we were dealing with the press and all of that stuff. You know, I was kind of liaising between the press and the band. At that point, the band were a bit scared of it all, mm. you know, starting to get a little bit, whoa, this Because it was quite it was quite a whirlwind, wasn't it? And yeah. everyone wanted to know who they were. Yeah. The attention was coming yeah. from all angles. And yeah. there was like this fame thing that was happening mm. for the coddle. And I always got a sense that 
they were not really into that. They were just into the music and yeah, the vibe. Yeah, but they and, weren't being too cool for school. They they really genuinely yeah. didn't know how to take that stuff and they didn't know how to deal with up. it. And they were very young. Yeah. They really, they were, they were kids and yeah. they were kids from, they weren't city kids. They were mm. out of town kids. And and also, you know, um, Bill was kind of a sensitive, you know, he was fragile, you know, he'd, he'd been through tragedy in, in his life, you know, his brother, he lost his brother. And I think they were very protective about him as well, mm. you know, like didn't want that to be delved into and make him feel... Because he had a really good connection with Alan, Bill, because of their shared tragedy. Yeah. And Alan, and Alan was able to, you know, kind of, coach him. Yeah, you know, guide, guide him really guide and help him, yeah. him through, you know, sort of... Dealing with his own issues, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think yeah. he was quite philosophical and gave him some helpful advice and insights mm. and stuff like that so i think the coral were very they were just very very not cautious exactly but just a bit scared of it all of, of the attention and i'm making a mistake you mm. know i know james said i was frightened to making a mistake because we didn't know what to say or do and we were frightened that we were so early we might make a mistake say and the they wrong were quite thing goofy as well weren't they they weren't like you yeah. know uh, trying to be oasis and super cool and everything they, no. they were goofy they were funny they, yeah. they had comedy to them right which was really unusual for a band because they're always trying to play over cool and yeah. super cool they and they hilarious. didn't care at all. They were hilarious. if the right person was there yeah. if it was some twit yeah you know who was being just annoying you know mm. they would kind of close down and it would be like you you could feel like you were out of the mm. loop but that's only you know because you did get some idiots coming up and trying to interview them as well you know just doing the job but it, they didn't connect with everybody but if they did mm. then you would see that funny side of them mm. you know that playful side so the album came out and it was well received they yeah. got to number five yeah. In the charts. Yeah, and they the were touring charts. loads. They were touring loads. And and yeah, three um, singles mm. came out. Tell us about the whole drama with yeah. the single choices and because there was a lot of internal wrangling, wasn't there, between the band, Delta Sonic, yeah. Sony, over choices between what singles to go with. Mm. Well, Alan had always a very clear vision of how he thought that they should be developed. And he was very protective of that. And he thought that it shouldn't be too fast, too soon. Mm -hmm. He knew them as people. He knew what they were comfortable with. And he also wanted the the cool side of it, if you want to put it that way. Um, I mean, it was all cool what they did, but like the, the sort of maybe more avant-garde, he just wanted them to have a credible yeah. foundation. Yeah. Before, because he knew they had some pop singles that would, you know, brilliant pop singles, but might just changed the tone a little bit mm. i think he wanted the tone of that first album to be consistent and that was my maybe the sort of darker side of things so when dreaming of you was kind of it, it was such a fantastic single and so obviously you know a pop yeah. single and a potential hit he was a bit worried that it would be a noose round that he'd be described as a noose round the neck that would you know that they, they would then have to put make everything else live up to that it was debate whether that should even be on the first album wasn't well it, it was alan who was talking alan was advising the band yeah. and saying i think this might be too quick you know it, this is going to launch and this is going to it's going to be a hit mm. and then we might get stuck with that then mm. where we're just going to be hit after hit because that's what majors want mm. they want hits of course want and money, ian want the money well, back, don't they? Know, <laughs> ian's used to like pop stuff yeah. hits and, and things like that so I don't, I don't think he was part of that maybe part of that conversation i don't know but i know that alan was quite sort of concerned that that could push things too quickly before those foundations were set so the band were with him on that i think mm. pretty much but obviously they were being there was pressure from the from the label to you know the, the major from sony to kind of get the hits going because I, I i got a little bit of insight on that because 
I was doing the videos yeah. um, for the first album, Skeleton Key, Dreaming of You and Goodbye. And I know that the marketing department didn't really want me doing it. They wanted one of their guys. Their Fair yeah. enough, right? Mm-hmm. And fortunately for me, the band wanted me yeah. to do it and Alan wanted me to do it. So I was able to hold my position, but I could see a little bit of insight of how the marketing department at Sony wanted to go in a different direction yeah. than the band wanted to and go and Alan wanted yeah, to go. So there was, yeah, there was this tension. Mm. It was like this uh, strategy of tension yeah. going on between all the parties and a, because they're not looking necessarily at the bigger picture. I mean, we did have a great team with Sony, in all honesty, yeah. you know, because we had Catherine, remember Jason Catherine Guy, Craddock, Catherine Jason Craddock, Guy, Muff Winwood. Muff Winwood. Yeah. Um, and oh, they were all cool. Rob. They were all, they were all yeah. brilliant people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there was this kind of, yeah, so it, it was really dreaming of you was the main contention. Mm. Yeah. I feel so grateful that I, I got I got the gig on, I know, yeah, on, yeah, on doing yeah, that video, that, yeah, because yeah, uh, it's such a brilliant video, it's such isn't a, it? Well, it's such a brilliant song, isn't it? It's yeah. a real classic song. And, yeah. And, uh, in that video, it was like, it was very difficult to, you know, when you make a music video, you're meant to write a script mm. and then the script gets costed and everyone signs off on it. But the Coral weren't wanting to do that. It mm. was kind of keep it loose and improvised. Yeah. So I remember the treatment I wrote for it was like something like four lines and that had to be delivered to yeah. Sony, right? And they were yeah. like, well, what, what's it going to be? I said, yeah. just trust us. Yeah. <laughs> just trust us, it'll They're be cool. not used to that, it needs to be all, you know. Yeah, right, yeah. I, I, and I get that. And I understand mm. where they were coming from with it, but you know, they had to just go with it because yeah. Of the deal that Alan did and yeah. the leverage that he yeah, had, he had dealt autonomy, he had autonomy, creative yeah. control. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I remember that video, and it was we did it in their rehearsal room, right? The, the main performance where they're in the corridor. That was their rehearsal room. Yeah, yeah, room, yeah. With yeah. all the posters, they had all the, of their the collage was, on the wall, yeah. and it just looked really good. And we did yeah. we did that section there, and then there's a whole section that didn't make the edit which we mm. filmed in Bill's bedroom oh, wow. all the band were in Bill's bedroom yeah. with all these different costumes on that was quite cool but you know probably the most memorable of Dreaming of You is the fact that we got Alan, Alan to in be the, in the video what was the, he who was, was the he general. playing the general it was an American general wasn't it American that was general because like, that, that was how we did the video I went to some prop house in Manchester and, and just went right guys let's get whatever we can get yeah. and stick it in the van oh really that's how it that's, was formed that's how it was formed we just well, picked all the cool stuff mm. we could find put it in the van and we went to a costume department, I think, in uh, the BBC in Manchester and picked a few costumes off. And was Jay Melia in the bear? Jay Melia was the bear. Yeah. Yeah, and then Mark O'Leary was the judo guy, but Alan was the general. Alan was the general, and he did his little Northern Soul skip yeah. in, the, to the, in the dance. Uh, I, I, just feel, I just feel grateful and lucky that I got you that gig, yeah. but also that we were able to, you know, immortalise him in that yeah. video. Oh, that's yeah, that's hilarious, that, isn't it? Mm. So good, yeah. Oh. But yeah, so it was a, it was a bit of a, a bit of a challenge mm. during the release of Dreaming of You. What do you think in yeah. hindsight about the decision to? It's very difficult to know, isn't it? Because yeah. it could be. I mean, the second album, which we'll probably touch on, um, did really well. Mm. Went to number one. I think Alan in Magic Al- and Medicine. Yeah, I think some majors think well you've got to go with your strongest stuff, you know, your, your, your pop stuff, your hits, mm. because you might not get another opportunity. It might, the whole thing might just flop mm. and then you don't get a second go. So that's wasted. Yeah. Use all your full artillery. And I think Alan was like, we want this band to have longevity and I know that they've got that capacity. I don't want to throw everything at it too soon because mm. that could, in you know, in another way, that could like wreck it. Mm. So um, I, I think, I think in some ways, I think you could say that he, he, he was right. You don't know what would have happened had it, had it been anything anything different. But what we do know is that they didn't 
get to the level that they um, could have because um, of various reasons. And that might be one of them. The fact that they were, it did go too quick too soon and they've pulled back. So they made some conscious creative decisions, didn't they? That they didn't want to be a pop band, as it were. Yeah, I don't know whether that was what they were thinking mm. as such. They wanted to do what they were doing and didn't want it to be a marketing team that led them. They weren't that type of band, really. No. They were like a funny, cool, yeah, almost a bit gawky, you know? Yeah, they were a bit the, the, yeah, geeky. Geeky, a bit, yeah. yeah. They were really used unusual. to do their own, um, their own little films, didn't they? When they did. Alan first met them, like they'd be... Was Ian, was, Ian was the filmmaker in the band, wasn't he? he and, and Nick's brother, um, Kev. Kev, and Kev he was Power. the photographer, great photographer. And they'd go off to parks and like get dressed up as like you know donkey heads on and think mm. oh, I, I think might have imagined right. that but no, I think no, they did, did. <laughs> I don't know why I would imagine that well, well that can and, like, be like axes get... coming out the bushes and things well like... again we, we continued that theme for the third single on the album which was Goodbye um, and it was my goodbye as well yeah. to, to, that was the end of my particular phase of the band you know, it was great I loved it I've mm. only got amazing memories of mm. it but we did the Wicker Man yeah uh, and it was a, again it was a development of the whole um English pagan, yeah, because like that was quite a deep an element English of pagan. Yeah. That was always a flavour, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. and, and uh, it kind of really went well with the band. I think yeah. that theme. God, I remember that. Though. Yeah, that was when a... we were talking about doing that, and do you remember we nearly got Christopher Lee in? Yeah, so we tried to get actual actually get Christopher Lee. We did speak Lee. to his manager. He was game. Yeah, right? he, was, he was going he to do was, it. He was on board, wasn't but, he? Um, Peter Jackson beat us to it because he cast them in Lord of the Rings. Thanks for making that decision. <laughs> yeah, with that we instead. didn't get we didn't get um, Christopher Lee, but yeah, that was a real challenging, real challenging uh, shoot. Yeah, because it was like a big day in Wales and yeah. um, it was in Flintshire. And I remember before we headed over, we had this 30-foot Wicker Man mm. built and an exact replica of mm. the one in the film. Same. Yeah, and I remember before we were going over, the heavens were pouring down upon the location. I thought, we're never going to burn this. <laughs> you know, it's raining. <laughs> and as we got to the location, the clouds cleared. It was like, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it was a long day. And the police, it, it turned into a local event in Flintshire. Mm. Hundreds of people turned up to, to this music video. Mm. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. no, look at all these people. <laughs> yeah, and then the police turned up and said, you're going to have to finish the shoot in three hours. And I was like, well, we've got another eight hours to go. What do you mean? Three hours? No, no, you got to finish the shoot. And it wasn't dark. So, so we, we, we got dark, so we had to rush through it. And then as we're rushing through it, in the song, James does a countdown to one. And at one, is that's when the Wicker Man was meant to explode. Mm. So I'm saying to the pyrotechnic guy, I was going, make sure it explodes on one. We've got one <laughs> shot at this, right? Yeah. One shot, one camera, yeah. and we had a Super 8 camera. So it, it, my enthusiasm rubbed off on him and he mm. doused it. Yeah. <laughs> he Just absolutely doused far. it with too much petrol. Oh my God. But, you know, we got what we wanted and on one, he lit it it exploded Boy, perfect explode. yeah and if you watch the video you can see I think it's Lee he looks around at the fire like yeah that, and it, it, it actually it singed so, Ian's hair it, it singed really Ian's yeah. hair yeah and uh Health and, and safety. It took, we're us, not, it uh, took a week to build priority. and it burnt within seconds. Seconds, yeah. minutes. It was gone. <laughs> <laughs> it was gone. But yeah, really, really memorable really shoot. Well. Really yeah. memorable yeah. shoot. Yeah. But yeah. that was the end of my particular part of the journey with Coral. And it was great. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved mm. it. But um, so, so, you know, the album is a major success. The, everyone in the country was talking about they were probably yeah. the best band mm -hmm. I think from that period from Noel the early, Gallagher was a massive fan early loads noughties. of like sort of you know uh, credible well known artists yeah. who were kind of you know 
speaking up about them and like influence, not influence, but well, there were some influenced by them, but also, you know, just kind of talking about them in interviews mm. and stuff and really. So Alan delivered, them. the Coral delivered, Delta Sonic was on the map. Yep. Liverpool was bouncing because there was this music revival going on yeah, in the city yeah. at the time. So yeah. it wasn't just what Alan was doing. There was like Gary Bandit and the Bandits were running Bandwagon. Well, the Bandwagon, which is where they kind of initially were sort of all playing at one that time hope, or another. It? It the live kind of where they all got to know each other originally. Yeah. yeah. That became legendary in its own yeah, right, the Bandwagon. Yeah. And, yeah. and Gary had the Bandits, the Bandits as well, didn't he? Which yeah. is why it was called the Bandwagon, I suppose. Great friend of mine. Did mm. a few videos for them too. He's a good yeah. Idea. And it was, it was just a brilliant time for guitar music. It was like what Alan talked about. It was the beginning of a revival the, the, yeah. of uh, guitar music yeah. after a bit of a lull. Mm. And it was, you know, at the beginning of that wave. And I think that's wasn't... around the time the Strokes, or maybe they were just a little bit mm. before, but it was kind of because I know um, James was saying that when Alan came along, you know, when he was talking about releasing Shadows Fall and stuff, and he was, he was, you know, he was basically saying the Strokes are, you know, everybody's like mm. kicking off about the Strokes. Said, but you're better. <laughs> he said, you know, we're going to go for it. So that they were part of that sort of revival. So it wasn't just the Coral though. So it wasn't mm. just the one hit wonder. Then no. came the Zootons. Then the Zootons. And I yeah. haven't heard the Zootons' first album for ages. Mm. And I listened to it recently before mm. we, we we did this, and it's so good. It's, it's so good, it isn't really it? is mm. so good. There's so many really great tracks on yeah. it. It was a, uh, another great record. Mm. Tell us about what you remember of, of the Zootons and, and working with the Zootons and how they came about because there was something quite unique about the Zootons. Abby being one well, of that the yeah, she came along a little bit a little bit later. Mm. Um, well, before it kicked off, but she was kind of she wasn't initially in the band, and I think Alan was kind of I think you must have found out obviously Sean um, and Abby. Well, not obviously, but Sean and Abby were a couple, mm. so that's how kind of Abby was in the circle, and she was playing sax. Um, I don't know. Where whether she was doing it anywhere else or just learning how to play it. Um, and there was talk about, you know, maybe she should join the band. But Alan was really keen on that because the four lads in a band in Liverpool has just been done yeah. so much. It was just so boring. Well, it was quite well yeah, made it unique, like, wasn't it? It was, there was a real so interesting twist. Abby in, yeah. you know, gorgeous, glamorous, mm. and, you know, just bring that little sparkle into this band, which otherwise would have been, you know, sounding great, but looking a bit boring. Maybe mm. no offence, lads, if you're mm. watching, but, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure <they laughs> but I'm sure they would agree. Yeah. But what was interesting was about the, the, because they were, you know, getting compared to the Coral, weren't they, in terms of like, you know, they were friends, they were, were in the same label and the same style well, what, of music, but there was a lot different. It yeah. Was. And I think what happened there was that the press, the mm. music media, which we don't see, we don't really have now, but what we had then was certain publications. I mean, NME was one, the main one. And they, um, they like to have a scene. They like to, ha they like to have it all written. Don't say there's a, so you know, there's a categorize scene, everything. And yeah. then you box them into yeah. the scene and then you pitch them against each other and start a bit of competition. So I think they threw something in there. There was a little bit, you know, unnecessary that kind of, looked like the Zootons and the Coral were rivals and they weren't mm. friends. So they all got a little bit annoyed about, not with each other, mm. with the press. It was like, what are they talking about? You know, so, but they were, yeah, very different. They were, I don't know how you would describe the difference, but just totally different, really. I, I think, um, whereas the Coral may have been hesitant to go down the um, more commercial route, yeah. commercial being the wrong term, but it's the only one I can mm. think of really. Is that the Zootons weren't where they were game? They were game. They were more, you know, they were more poppy, probably. Yeah. You know, um, anyway, and um, yeah, no, they were full on. You know, let's let's go for it. With you know, they still wanted to keep the, you know, the sort of um, 
creative integrity or they they, they just happen to be writing more sort of i suppose pop songs really mm. you know and obviously valerie being one of them <laughs> yeah so how many people know that do they really that is uh amy winehouse is probably most famous song yeah was written by dave mccabe, by dave McCabe and, yeah, of the zoo yeah, songs yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. done okay from that. I think he's done all right with that. Yeah, <laughs> it's right, Dave. Yeah. Um, so that you know, they've had a brilliant career. They really have. You know, and they've toured the world and they've recorded in different places. They really went for it, didn't they? They really they did. did yeah. You know, and they they weren't afraid to you know to do stuff and kind of you know um, play with the this the 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 look and, mm. and all the rest of it and like videos. You know, it was all quite sort of. Um, and they, they followed it up with, with a really good second album as well because mm -hmm. there's some some even stronger songs on the second mm -hmm. album than the first. Yeah. Um, maybe not as... I think the first album was more consistent, mm -hmm. whereas the second album, maybe a little bit more patchy, but mm -hmm. some really, really some strong, really strong songs, tracks, on it. yeah. Um, and, yeah, so they delivered again. Yeah. And then how does that received in Sony and... All I think again, I think well, it was really, it? yeah, I mean, Muff Winwood was a real champion of the Zoosons. He absolutely loved them. So he was there and, you know, in the background kind of, you know, sort of just, he, he was their man in Sony. Mm. You know, Rob Stringer was probably more Coral. Muff Winwood was uh, okay. more Zootons. Just a little bit of rivalry within, within no, Sony itself. No, I don't think it was that. It, I think Rob just didn't have enough, you know, mm. time and hands. And, and I think Muff Winwood just literally loved them. And mm. so was just kind of wanting to be involved on, on that level. And how was, so, how was the relationship with Sony and Alan at that point? Because, you know, Alan knew the strength he had and the leverage he had in the deal and enjoyed playing the Maverick mm. and enjoyed making autonomous decisions mm -hmm. even sometimes at the chagrin of of some sony executives yeah how was that relationship um i think being it, was, navigated? It, was, it was all right for quite a while because yeah. he was making good decisions while you're selling working. records yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was all working um it changed really when rob stringer left mm. i can't quite remember when that was in terms of like record releases and stuff like that but when rob left and he went to america and then a new team came in it wasn't the same. Uh -huh. Alan had a real strong relationship with that team and with Rob and Rob, he had full respect from Rob. Okay. And not to say he didn't when the other people came in, but that... When do you reckon that was the, halfway through the, the kind, deal? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm. Um, it's difficult to remember now what when that Because exactly a new happened. brush sweeps clean, doesn't it, they say? Yeah, it was difficult. It really was because they didn't know Alan from the beginning and they'd just come in. And also, you know, don't forget there's egos involved. People want to make their mark, mm. you know, and so they want to be seen to be making decisions rather than just coming in and going, yeah, Alan, do whatever. Mm. You know, so I think there was a little bit of, you know... Uh, a struggle going mm. on there when the new people came in because it wasn't just the coral or the zootons mm. there was the dead 60s as dead well 60s as well great yeah. scar band yeah and brilliant got a good relationship yeah. with them i did yeah. quite a few music videos mm. for them too went to japan with the dead 60s oh, went to japan yeah. and did a, a video on the streets of tokyo which yeah. was amazing they were, they were so brilliant really cool really lads. really good yeah really cool lads and um yeah so they were part of that whole thing so it was all you know it was all pretty good yeah and they were quite big in america when they did the dead yeah. 60s they had a break on american radio i think riot radio it was riot radio got and like mo the third most played indie track in america did, yeah. something mm. like that yeah well they had they they eventually had an american manager and how that came about was Rob Stringer, because they didn't really have like a formal manager. It was Alan doing everything, really, mm. you know, sort of. And, but they didn't really need it at that point. So, you know, we had Sony and they were part of that thing. 
Um, but then Rob Stringer played, I don't know if it was Riot Radio or something, to uh, Peter Mensch, who's like a big, okay, big yeah. manager over there. I think he was in Metallica, Chili Peppers, yeah. um, several other you know, massive bands. And he loved them. And um, he came over, I remember him coming actually to Liverpool with Rob Stringer to, I think it might have even been the opening of the office because we didn't have the office straight away it was like a bit later I can't remember anyway but he came with Rob came to see us in the office and came to meet the band and, and then had them had them out there it's, know, quite big, it's quite a big deal getting Peter Mensch to be well, he's your manager well he's pretty big isn't he really yeah. you know and it was him you know it wasn't like you know he was being chased mm. he was just give, you know he just played it and loved it and, and he was the one who came to them and you know they had a really good time with him and, um, and, and interestingly other people you know, we've said about Delta Sonic being kind of a sort of uh, starting point for a lot of people's careers in different areas. Mm. There was one guy, Keith O'Neill. Keith O'Neill. Drummer for Cast. Cast, yeah. He was uh, tour managing. I think maybe Alan had got him in to tour manage a couple of the bands, possibly. I can't remember who, but I think Dead Sixties might have been one of them. So he ended up working for Peter Mench's Q Prime mm. company. And he got really, you know, he got into tour management that way, I think, mm. properly. So there was loads of people. Pad was, for him. Yeah, there was, you know, obviously myself. There was Scott Jones. Scott Jones, amazing a designer, is, yeah. amazing graphic designer. Yeah. Someone I've worked with myself closely over the years. Mm. Cool guy. Oh, so lovely. Yeah, he's just done loads, and he's, he helped me set up the website, which we're reworking on at the moment. But he, um, yeah, he did some classic designs. He didn't did he? some brilliant the designs. Yeah. Did he do the Zootons with the 3D? I think. Oh God, I can't remember which one he did, but he, yeah, he's done some Zootons. Scott, and, if you didn't do that, I'm sorry. Sorry. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> he did some really good ones. He did amazing stuff. Yeah, but he did Arctic Monkeys as well, didn't he? Yeah. 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 Again, through, you mm. know, that sort of meeting of, you mm. know, well, Alan was after the Arctic Monkeys and almost there. He was at the, like right at the front. So I didn't know that. I didn't know he got really close to signing the Arctic oh, Monkeys. He was, he was in for the Arctic Monkeys very, very early. He 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 got onto them like really. I can't remember whether it might have even been Joe who mentioned the Arctic Monkeys to Alan. And I think they went to see them and he was like, they just brilliant he could see straight away really early that mm. they were going to be massive and he was banging on so he was like come on we've got to do this will you just back me up i've got to get this deal and they were a little bit hesitant oh no yeah and he was like come on can't you see it and they were like mm, not sure and um and domino got it and domino yeah i don't think it was just because of the hesitation though i think i think i don't know why they went with domino um i think it may maybe it was Maybe they just didn't want to go with Sony and they knew Sony was involved. I don't know what the decision was behind that, but they went with Domino and they did all right. Mm. <laughs> so, but we could have also done that. But there was also a little spin off that you were able oh, to benefit yeah. from, wasn't there? Which is the last Shadow Puppets, which was Miles was Kane. Miles Kane. So, yeah, how that and Miles happened. Kane was in The Little Flames, he was in the another band that worked with. Rascals. That's right. Mm. So, The Little Flames, wasn't it? But they were involved as well. Yeah, that's right. So, there was Little Flames. So, there was Matt and Eva, who mm. Alan knew, and they were kind of doing this kind of cool stuff and then there was um they needed a band really mm. so alan knew miles greg and joe um who, uh, probably through the coral i think because they were from the wearer and stuff so he put them together formed the little flames and then he was in with you know for the arctic monkeys and so he kind of knew them they i think it's probably their first tour he got the little flames to support the arctic monkeys they got the support slot for that so they went up Miles then makes friends with Alex yeah. during that tour 
Incidentally, Jamie, my son, had his first venture into um, touring with a band. He went out with the Arctic Monkeys and Little Flames and did uh, the lighting. Cool. Learned how to do the lighting. Yeah, you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's how the little, um, so that's how Miles met Alex Turner. And then they, you know, developed a stronger friendship, obviously, over the, mm. over the course of a couple, of, I don't know how long it went. But and then they decided to do an album of their own, which was the, the Last Shadow, Last Shadow Puppets. Puppets. But didn't Delta Sonic get a piece of the action there? Well, it, we, we had publishing. Publishing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah there was probably some... Was that, there was a deal done as well. Was that in some ways kind of like a... Like a... Um, not a payoff, but like a thank you or sorry we didn't sign with you, but we can do this with you instead. Um, no, I don't think so. I think it was just, it had to be done. It was legal. Okay. <laughs> Simple as that, really. But why did you get the publishing? I mean, why did, why did Delta Sonic get oh, the publishing uh, deal well, with the Lash Shadow Publishing? I think because Alan had the publishing uh, for Miles. Ah, okay. So it wasn't full publishing. There was, um, he had a share of the publishing. Mm. So it was that, yeah, because he already signed the Little Flames because we had a publishing arm as well. Mm. So we already had that. Um, so it was, it was just you know, contractual. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So there was loads of other bands as well, wasn't there? There was, mm. uh, the Suzuki's. The Suzuki's one of my favorites. Long cut. I love all of them, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, Suzuki's who were slated by the music press later on. At first, when they, we did a, the first EP, mm. Reducer, I think it was, I think some people got it. It was, he- it was quite harsh. It was hard. It was Northern. It was gritty. Mm. Like they were. Mm. And... There was no compromise from them, no, was it No, they were genuine yeah. though. There yeah. was no messing about. They were just... Re- I just loved that about them. Mm. Sort of Shoreditch types just didn't quite get it. No. They thought they were pretending. Too Northern for them, Somebody actually said... I, I, got, I did get involved. Like I got so annoyed because <laughs> I, I really knew how genuine they were and how brilliant they were. And also at the time there was like the politics that was going on. I can't even quite remember what it was, but I know there was like, there was a a need for an angry band Mm. and they were it. And like, nobody was listening. And I was like, why is nobody listening? Mm. And um, I remember one press guy was like, you know, just bloody wearing parkas and like, it's all, you know, like as if they were pretending to Mm. be Northern with parkas. And I was like, it's cold, they're in the rain. And they're wearing parkas because that's what they wear every day. Mm. You know, it's just like they There's are. There's only so much space for northern bands, really, in the whole, you I, know, yeah, the, 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 the well-controlled yeah. middle-class operation, isn't yeah. it? You know? And I just think they weren't ready. They didn't want an angry band. No. They just wanted something, like, cool to, so, like, yeah. get involved with, and they weren't it. There's loads of cool bands. There's loads of... Yeah, and the basement. The basement, I forgot about the basement, yeah. Kings of Leon. I think, was it Kings of Leon? They were... They were just starting out. Things like always at the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. It was one of them that mm. was like dead. It might have been the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, and it was at the same time. And they were playing, at, 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 you know, in London. And it just they, they just I don't know. The media just went for that. You know, it was it was there was no competition really because the, the basement were brilliant, and, but they were kind of a bit more ramshackle. Mm. And those the other bands just it was ready for you know big stuff. So the press went with the big stuff. It was the last mm. great era for guitar music in Liverpool, the Delta Sonic period, because mm. there hasn't been one after it, has there? No, I don't think yeah, so. It was the last no. great period of guitar music. Yeah. 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 I don't know whether that'll come back. Who knows? It's like, you see, the, the cycles that Alan used to talk about were in a different world mm. before streaming and before, mm. you know, the, the different sort of well, it's either, landscape. It's either guitar mu- music has gone for good mm. or it's, it's going to be... Incorporated within Or like, it's a very genres. niche genre of music, which is like, a subculture. Yeah. You know, mm. um, but whether... Or it's we'll, just sampled. 
you know, in, unless you Oasis know. make a comeback and if Oasis made the comeback you know that yeah. might that might kickstart a whole genre again who knows possibly maybe there'll be a backlash because people you know, yeah. I, I don't know maybe yeah. there's something that people would get from it that they don't even know that mm. kids don't even know exists mm. Guitars. Yeah. Guitars, yeah. <laughs> what? What are they? But my, my dad used to play around yeah. it. Um, okay, so so there was amazing golden period. It was like he had the Midas touch to a large degree. Mm. Loads of great bands coming through, loads of great music being created, culture being yeah. created, careers being launched. It was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then it became more difficult and the struggle began With largely the, due yeah. to the new head at Sony and yeah. then... That was probably towards the tail end of the seven-year deal, wasn't it? Maybe the last two two years, two and a half yeah. years. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. And then yeah. that became more difficult. of a fight and more of a constant struggle working with Sony mm. and in some ways both parties watching the clock yeah. to some degree. But yeah, what, what, seeing the, the, the deal. How long's like, left? Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, mm. so, so tell us about that. Because what do you remember about that? Well, I mean, I remember Alan getting more and more frustrated by it, you mm. know, the whole thing and like... I remember, and you know, you know, Alan, and like part of the, we were talking about his character, he would not beat around the bush if he was like, you know, if he had something to say, he didn't care who it was to, what what level they were at, he would just say it. If but he I loved that about him. I, I, I loved going to get a direct feedback from yeah, Alan. Yeah, because you knew it was true, you yeah. knew it was genuine, and you, he wasn't bullshitting you, yeah, he, he wasn't was, like that. It was great because, you know, Alan loved to talk. Yeah. Alan loved to talk, right? And I'd spend yeah. many, many hours sitting in Kinsella's. Just talking uh, about the maddest stuff. But it wasn't not just, just music. music. Yeah, no, he was into universe. history, he was into politics. Yeah. He was into money creation. Yeah. He was into all the cool all red it. pill stuff that we talk about yeah. now. Alan was on it. He was on it. Yeah, like, and, and, and that's really why I just early. loved his yeah. company. And we spent we just spent untold hours just chatting just about that and stuff. He loved that. We had Jehovah's Witnesses came to the door they run? <laughs> No, because they weren't allowed to run because he had them. Got it. Because he, they wouldn't, he, he wouldn't stop talking. And he wasn't doing it. You know, like some people go, oh, yeah, I was trying to, and, you know, I wound them up. Yeah. He wasn't he was winding them up. He wanted to know their mm. view on the universe and universal energy and like mm. where it all came from and all the rest of it. And they did, they got way more than they bargained for and yeah. they couldn't leave. They because it was like, and I even recorded some of it. I need to try and find that because oh, wow. was, it was so funny. But it was genuinely, it came, he had an innocence, that's what I wanted to say about Alan. Even though he had this kind of, he was, he was bombastic in Mm. a lot of ways and he was very straight talking and he could. He was a truth seeker. Yeah, he He was. He was a truth seeker. And he could maybe cut people with his, with his honesty sometimes, Mm. but he didn't mean to, he didn't mean to hurt people. He had an innocence. It's like sometimes like a child would say stuff and you're like, oh, I didn't say that. Mm. But he would just say it because it was true. Mm. And um, so that was why, you know, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, he didn't mean to like, you know, be horrible or, you know, he just wanted, he really was, a, he wanted to know stuff. Mm. And, um, but, you know, the flip side of that was, you know, he would go down to Sony, for example, and <laughs> and he'd go into a meeting and they'd all be talking you know, corporate nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. You'd be like, right, what's it? I think it was like singer songwriters were out at the time. Yeah. You know, like a load of them, like it was one after the other. And I think it was kind of that, you know, this meeting, this AR meeting, it was something about like, well, you know, anybody got anything to say about, you know, who's going to be the next or anyone got one or something <laughs> like that, you know. And um, and I think I don't know whether they asked him his opinion. Mm. Probably it probably wouldn't have done that because they'd know they'd get more. But I think he was in the room and, you know, it, maybe they said, Alan, what, you know, what's your thoughts on this? You know, it was, they were talking about A&R and how it... Oh, and he said something like, so what would I... It was like, what would you do in this scenario? Yeah. What would I do? Right. Okay, so 
and I'd get you know A and R team, and I'd get shut of them. They're all in the room. <laughs> get rid of them and start again. Mm. He said because you go nowhere with this. Mm. He said this is barking up the wrong. He said, what are you all talking about? You know, this is just. But not you, getting like you anywhere. Say, he was too honest for them, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, and that didn't go down too well, I'm sure, you know, because yeah. you're burning bridges at that point with with all of them. But mm. it was just, it was so frustrated with listening to them, just talking. I used to sit there sometimes nonsense. and think, how, how, how can you even, how do you run a label as well? <laughs> how are you able to do all of this and sit and chat to me yeah. for hours? And, and be an expert on yeah. football, which he never knew anything about until Sonny started playing well, football. He was a man you found, wasn't and he? Yeah. Wales, <laughs> though, isn't he Wales. wasn't really yeah. and you know and he didn't know anything about football but when Sonny started playing football he became an expert because he did, he could become an he wow. said give me six weeks and I'll be an expert on anything yeah and you know Jamie who's into football couldn't believe that Alan was like knew what he was talking about with football, like, how do you know it's a sponge he just used to yeah. you know soak it all up so yeah so that struggle in the you know at that period was you know it, he was getting frustrated and, and it was coming out in situations like that in mm. meetings. And he was just like, and then I remember another time when it came out was, this was nothing to do with Sony at the time, but it was kind of towards that end period. And he'd, 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 he'd found this other band, um, Dustland, which, you know, we'll probably talk about, but he was so passionate about this kid, this, this, well, Adam, the, the band, yeah, it? yeah, the band, it was, it was really unusual. It was like, it was quite electronic, I think. I, um, there was only three of them and Adam was the front man and he was so cool. He looked like a, a 1950s movie star. He did, yeah. he was like, just so brilliant looking and very sort of charismatic. And, mm. you know, when Alan introduced him to labels, he just, just had that thing and they were all like, oh God, people wanted, he was magnetic, people wanted to know. And so Alan was really, you know, sort of pushing for this. And they played a show in Liverpool and a, a, it was a couple of labels who came up, a couple of A&R. They may have been from Sony, I can't remember. But I remember them coming up and it was just like, it was a big anti-climax. He thought they would get it mm. and he thought they would be excited. And they didn't. And they said, um, yeah, they're all right, but, you know, it's early days. <laughs> and he lost his shit. He just, it was just, yeah. That was like the kiss of death, wasn't it? It's I think early it days. Was just, yeah, I think yeah. it was got because he, he was becoming frustrated with the business, with yeah. the industry, not the business. He was becoming a bit jaded with it all. Yeah, he was because yeah. it was like a bit of a slog at that point, and it was like this. Don't say that to me now, and mm. you know. And I think he just thought they were just, they mm. just didn't know. And he said Joe always laughs about it because Joe was with him, and he got quite like because he wasn't an angry man. Mm. Alan, he was quite no. sort of you know, but he was like. You're just weird, he said to them. You're just weird. <laughs> you just don't get it. You're just weird. And then anyway, Jay was like, oh, you know, chill out, Alan. And he was like, no, they're just full of shit. They don't get it. So but so it was all kind of that, you know, end of thing. And But the funny thing about that was, so he got himself so worked up and he was like, you're weird. So they got off, you know, like quick. And then we were driving home. <laughs> and Alan just got himself into such a frenzy of anger with, mm. about this thing. And he went... And I'm just not having it. He said, they're just full of shit. And I'm Alan Wills and I'm back. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Alan. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So before we get to Alan's back, we first got to get to the, the <laughs> yeah. end of, of, uh, of Sony. Oh, because seen, yeah. the amazing deal, which just transformed Liverpool, it mm. really did. And it was that down to his genius and negotiating that deal. It had a term and yeah. that term came to an end. Yeah, and 
Del- so they thought. <laughs> oh, so they thought, but he, he squeezed another year <laughs> out of it. Year year. So it was a seven-year deal. Like, oh, I think you'll find. And he found a technicality in it, then got another year out. Great, thank you so much. Okay, right, so good that they went with it. So so it came to an end. Mm. Did it end, um, was it an acrimonious ending? No, not really. I think everyone was ready for it. Yeah, okay, so new challenges ahead for everyone. I think, you know, he wouldn't have said no. If somebody that he respected in the the, um, business had said, what about another, Mm. you know, loads of money? And he probably would have said, yeah, but... I think he knew that it was it was coming to an end. He wasn't really working well with the team in there and he was quite ready for new challenges, I think. And a new phase began, which was yeah. Delta mm. Sonic being a, a truly independent, independent label. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, again, yeah, because yeah. it was like that before Sony, wasn't yeah, it? Although, yeah, although thinking about it, it wasn't really because there was always the thought that that was, you know, it was very close to Sony being involved, so it didn't really have Kind of launched together, if you yeah. like, I mean, on EVA the back of the deal. More, yeah. That was fully independent because there was no sign of Sony then, so mm. yeah. So this was like properly you're on your own now. So things become a, a bit difficult because yeah. you don't have the energy resource of the major label pumping cash yeah. into the project. The marketing and, of you know, the course, promotion all and the, the costs. network and stuff. So Alan's kind of trying to f- rediscover his magic. Yeah. Um, find the golden Midas touch mm-hmm. once again. Mm-hmm. And he's searching around trying to find new acts. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that period because I remember Alan in a... And I remember him, you know, he was he was looking at other projects as well, wasn't he, at the time, mm. yeah? And I could see that he was just waiting for the next wave to come along and he was yeah. like a surfer, just waiting patiently yeah, to, was, to yeah. catch it. I think he'd had a little bit of time out thinking, you know what, it might be actually more fun selling widgets because yeah. you know what, where you are with widgets and you haven't mm. got, you know, and then, but that, you soon got bored of that idea of course, and thought, I no, I want would, yeah. music. So <laughs> then it was like full on, you know, radar out and stuff. Yeah. And um, we started so, picking up bands as an independent label yeah. it was Dustland wasn't it Dustland. I think it was the first one that came along yeah they were I think they were in the battle of the bands if I remember rightly in in Liverpool and um, mm. I think Alan was on the panel of that I think mm. I think he was anyway so he, he recognised that they were they were good and then I think he got Jamie in to help out with them. Yeah, that's right, because Jamie's done a bit of co-managing then, didn't yeah, he, as well, that's right. In fact, that, that's what happened. Do you remember that? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, yeah, so that was that. So they were kind of you know, developing, and then around that time as well... Yes, yeah, so rivers. I come back into the story again <laughs> yeah. a little bit. I mean, I mean, I was never out the story. I no. was, I was always doing right, music right. videos yeah. in some shape or form, mm. and there'd be a few years when I wouldn't mm. see him or I'd do other things. But it was always woven in and out of the Delta Sonic story. But um, I think it was two thousand and eleven, maybe. I kind of wanted to try my hand at band management. Yeah. Right? And I've done a few crazy things in my life, and that was one of them. <laughs> I, I, and uh, I had a couple of bands, and um, I found, I went to Hebe Jeebies, which is a bar in Liverpool, and I was on the lookout, sniffing for, for, for music, and I found this band called The Dirty Rivers, and they just blew me away. They yeah. were just amazing. Yeah. And it reminded me of the Coral, in yeah. terms of like mm. the energy that they mm. had on the on the stage and they had probably the best front man I'd seen in ages yeah, so but be careful what you wish for oh, no. <laughs> <Mikey>. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah so I was so excited about, about them and after the gig I'd done the pitch and got them on board and started working with them a little bit and then I told Alan about it I said Alan you've got to see this mm. band and up to that mm. point he was like okay yeah mm. I was sending him stuff and he wasn't mm. really interested and, mm. and I could see that I hadn't impressed him yet. yeah I, come and see them yeah, yeah. So come and see them so he came to see the Dirty Rivers and yeah. 
That was it. He yeah. was. He and was then he said to me, "Got to come and see this band." And I think we both came. Yeah. Uh, I might have even been on that night. Maybe, but but, yeah. but it was a, it was a really interesting period in my relationship with Alan because both Mikey and Alan could have easily said, "Look." We're gonna go together. Thanks for the introduction. Here's a little drink or whatever. But, yeah. but that didn't happen. Mm. Mikey showed some loyalty, and Alan said, "Look, do you want to co-manage with me?" Mm. I was like, "Yeah, of <laughs> <All> course." <right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I, I was co-managing for a while with with Alan on the Dirty Rivers, and it was an interesting period because up to that point, of being his friend and, and maybe the videographer mm. of some of the Delta Sonic's work, but this time I was like a, a business partner. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And uh, I got a lot of insight into how the music industry worked from the management label perspective. Mm -hmm. And there was lots of lots of labels that were really excited about the Dirty Rivers and they were coming to see them. Mm. A few of them says it's early days, early days, early yeah. days yeah. And uh, it was just a real privilege to work that closely yeah. with them for yeah. a period. But unfortunately, I had other things pulling my attention, other crazy things and another, you know, my story went off in a different direction. And I said, look, Alan, I don't think I can give this the commitment yeah. that it needs. You and you and the Dirty Rivers, you do it together mm. and best of luck, I hope mm. it works out for you. Mm. And I went off and did something else and he took over mm. um, the full management of the band and you, you were all over it as well. And, mm. and tell us a bit about from that point where know you just took it from dirty rivers and developed it into something different didn't you yeah well the dirty rivers was um it was quite sort of uh raucous well, how would you describe the dirty rivers quite, it was dirty rock and roll dirty yeah grungy yeah. rock and roll yeah. it was so good um, garage garage rock yeah, and roll yeah yeah and you know when they were they were getting you know they were getting some attention mikey was just a really electric yeah front he had a bit of a mick jagger thing going yeah, on didn't he and some other sort of influences bastard, he, was, he, yeah. he certainly was yeah. yeah but that was what you needed that's yeah, what he was yeah he was just so good yeah he did you know but he was like that off the stage as well yeah. it, it wasn't an act no <laughs> it wasn't an act so no. it was you know it was going well but what alan noticed which is what where his mm. you know his talent came in was that you noticed that so there was mikey mm. originally there was mikey with i think jay yeah. and then and the other you know the other Lloyd, three ryan, so, and, Lloyd, ben, wasn't ryan and ben ben was a drummer um and then when jay left and then louis came in as a guitarist um alan noticed that there was a, a different vibe coming in from mm. you know they were, they were there was the others were writing more and it was kind of blending and changing mm -hmm. and it was becoming more sort of psychedelic and sort of, you know, atmospheric and colourful and, and I don't know if subtle is the right word, but it wasn't as full on. Mm. It was just this psych psychedelic vibe was coming in and he said, what they're doing is really good. He said, it's, he said, I'm much preferring that. He said, I think there's something that we could really do with this. And so he was working on that and developing that. It transformed down. the band, though, didn't it? From, really did, from this yeah. kind of not basic, but you know, grungy garage like rock and roll sort of to stuff, this yeah. quite sophisticated yeah. and subtle psych yeah, rock beautiful band. Music, yeah, was coming out. And when I when I'd see him, he, he would be so excited about mm. that band, and I got the sense that he thought this was the comeback. Yeah, he was he on the comeback see trail. There was something more there. Yeah. There was maybe something and he was setting it up in yeah. a way that was maybe similar to the the Coral deal with with uh, Delta Sonic. Mm. I, I could see in his head that he was thinking maybe this might be. Yeah, I, I got a feeling that mm. he, he, you know, he was buzzed up from yeah. it basically yeah and he was interested to see where it could develop yeah. further you know they were going to have a club night I think they were talking about doing a, a, a club night like a regular thing and they wouldn't call it 
the Brill Society, and so the, you know we had to, I can I can picture what we had in mind already. You know, mm -hmm. like all the just it was just going to be an amazing club night, and and that was going to be that kind of their launch, and mm -hmm. you know they would have been ready by then. I felt as if he'd he'd got his his hunger again, and he was yeah. he was re-energized yeah. re after yeah. a period of being a bit jaded. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah and, and it was like you know he'd found something that you know got him excited because yeah. that's what he was interested he in. Did, wasn't and he? they had an energy, you know. I mean, yeah. Mikey was like just full on wired with energy, wasn't he? Mm. The others were um, more sort of laid back, and you know mm. they were kind of more sort of um, they were the ones that brought the psychedelic element to mm. it, really, and they were getting a little bit more sort of. Um, yeah, a bit more laid back, but he he could see that there was a talent there and that there was it was turning into something really interesting. Mm -hmm. So he was going with that. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, this is like you know where things take a sharp turn. Yeah, I remember I remember getting a call. I think it was from Joe. Yeah, saying Alan's had an accident, had a road accident. Mm -hmm. He's in hospital, mm -hmm. serious. Yeah, and to get down as quick as I could. And, mm -hmm. Uh, I did stop what I was doing, you know. Got there as as quick as I could, and it was uh, it was an eerie experience. It was like a gig, in a sense. You know, the was, were everyone there, was there. Yeah. You know, everyone was there, and, except me. Yeah, so do, we do you pick it up then from, from what happened from your end? So we were in France because we were um, going to take. We were going to move. We had a place, a little place in France nice, outside Nice, yeah, yeah Paul Dance. And our son, Sonny, was in his last year of juniors and we knew we had this place and we thought, you know what, maybe we should just decamp there for a bit, get him into school in the village and then he'll be, you know, fluent in French and then we'll come back and he can go to grammar school or whatever it was we were planning for him at that point. So, um, and then Alan was going to, you know, um, sort of commute Easy jet. He was just going to commute, you know, backwards and forwards. So, so we did that. We'd only just gone actually about two weeks before. It was around um, Easter time. So we went down. Um, Alan came down. He followed us down. Sonny and I went down. Alan followed us down in the car with the dog. Brought Barky down, and then he had to go back because a couple of reasons. I think Sound City were on, uh, was on that. You know, the the festival was on that weekend, and also I think he needed to see. Dirty Rivers, Stroke Serotonin and Dustland. You, you know, he, he had things to do. And so he was coming. So he went back to Liverpool. Mm -hmm. So the last I saw of him, you know, consciously as such, was seeing him off in Nice at the airport. Mm -hmm. So then I go back to the house and then um, I can't remember how long he'd been back in Liverpool. And it was a Thursday night and I was, I always watch Question Time and Sonny and I were actually, he was in bed with me and I was watching Question Time and the phone went and it was Alan. Or I thought it was Alan. And I was like, oh, bloody hell, Alan, I'm watching Question Time, you know, it's on. And it wasn't, it was the police. And they said, um, I can't, you know, I mean, it was such a mad situation. I can't remember everything they said, but I do remember that they said, no, this is the police. Um, don't worry, don't worry. I don't know why they said that, but they probably just wanted me to be calm. And then they just said, there's, um, it, you know, is, are you, do you know Alan Wills? And I was like, yes, I'm his partner. Um, you, you need to come down to the hospital straight away because he's been in an accident and he's in, um, you know, um, physically, in tree physically or whatever it was. And I said, well, I'm in France. I can't. What do I, and and I, I wanted them to tell me. So I was going, what, what, what's happened? What's happened? What's happened? Tell me, tell me. And they wouldn't kind of. They didn't want to freak me out too much. So we were saying, no, just calm down, just calm down. But you do need to get here quickly. You know, you do need, because, you know, it is serious, but we need you to, you know, mm. we need to be there. 
it was at 11 o'clock at night or something oh, like that. And I'm in France and I've got sunny and I, there was no way of getting there. I was thinking, shall I drive? Mm. You know, mm. and Sonny ran to the neighbours and got the neighbour. And I was just like running around going, oh, my God. And um, the neighbour took us to the airport about, I don't know, four in the morning because we just thought we just got to get whatever plane of is course. the next plane out. Um, I'm not sure what time, but it was like, they probably start about six o'clock or something. The only flight was to London. Otherwise, we'd have had to wait for ages. So Sonny was like asleep on the, you know, the bench in the airport. And there was an absolute dickhead, you know, on British Airways who was being so, so insensitive and so not bothered at all. You could see the state we were in and he was just like so dismissive. It was horrible. I, I would have mm. complained, but I just didn't get around to it. And it was just a horrible nightmare. And we were in the airport and then the plane was going about six o'clock. So we had to get on that. And then that meant we had to travel across London, you know, um, to get the, then, then to get the train home. So it was an epic journey all the way. Oh, I'll, God. You know, I'm thinking, don't die, don't die, don't die. Don't, you don't. Oh, mm. It was awful. And um, obviously, Sonny was only 10. So he didn't quite know. He just knew he knew there was something wrong because, you know, he, he could hear like on the phone. So that was just absolute nightmare. And um, and then we get to the, we got on the train and we got off at Warrington, Bank Key and Joe Fearing and his brother Ray were there to pick us up. And, you know, they obviously didn't want to tell me how bad things were because it was bad, but they didn't want to tell me that. So they said, oh, um, come on, we'll, you know, take you to the hospital and um, the doctors just want to have a word with you when you know, when we get there, we'll, you know, we'll take you in and the doctor just want to explain to you what's going on. So I said, okay. And still thinking, because of Alan being who he was, I, I didn't even know how bad the injuries were, but I just, I, I fully thought that he would be okay. I just thought, no, you know, don't. He'll pull through like yeah, he pulled through because the energy else. of him yeah. was just so powerful. I yeah. thought, no, it'll be okay. So I wasn't letting myself to, you know, think that it might not be. I was just in this like adrenaline, a panic, horrible, just, you know, nightmare. So we get to the hospital and it's all just a big, as you said, you know, like a surreal, weird, uh, there was, you know, and I remember now it's just like faces, that, and familiar yeah. faces like coming and going. And I'm like just in this mist of madness mm -hmm. and I'm seeing people, oh, and hi. And they're all in going? the lift and in the corridor yeah, and around yeah, the bed. Yeah, yeah, and Al it was so yeah, strange. all these yeah. people like around and, um, I don't know how long I was there before I went in mm. to see the doc. You know, I think Joe must have said, oh, you know, come on, they want to speak to you. So, and I remember there were three of them, two consultants and this woman. And um, I don't I don't really remember what they said too much, but they were trying to explain what the injury was because he had a head injury. It was a really bad head injury because he'd gone head first off his bike at quite, you know, it must have been, he was doing probably 30, 25, 30 miles an hour. And he said he didn't have a helmet on. And so it was, you know, the, the swelling on the brain had like happened quite rapidly. I think he'd had um, a cardiac arrest at the scene mm. and the there was happened to be an ambulance nearby and they'd Revived resuscitated, him. you know, um, still unconscious, but they'd got the heart going again. So they were explaining to me that, you know, they thought that it, it was probably, um, you know, his brain stem was probably not going to recover. So, but I wasn't hearing this. I was just hearing course, he's yeah. still alive. What's happening then? Yeah. What are you going to do about that? Mm -hmm. And you know, um, so they were they were kind of just explaining it to me. And then 
I just remember they weren't giving me, they weren't get telling me, they weren't giving me any hope. Mm. They were just kind of, you know, I, you wanted I understand. You the machine off, was, didn't yeah, yeah they, they, they knew that there was no hope, but I wasn't ready to just give up at that point because I thought, you don't know him, yeah. so don't be telling me that, that that's the end because you yeah. don't know. And I know he believes in magic and mm. I know that, you know, there's any way that he can come back in some way or that he will do it. So mm. just bear with him. So, and then, but, so I'm kind of thinking, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking like that. I was just thinking, don't tell me that. We need some time here. What are the here. answers, yeah. And then this woman says, she must have just got a little bit, I, I sense she got a bit frustrated with, with my sort of, you know, like not wanting to accept take, their accept, opinion. Yeah. yeah. And she said, you do realise he's going to die. And I just said, meeting over, no, thank you. Um, I'm out of here mm. now. So I said, Joe, I'm, you know, and he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so the two of us just went, I said, I don't want to Who was she? Do you remember what? Yeah, I know now. I didn't know at the time, but she was the uh, coordinator for the... Um, organs, organ transplant. Oh, so she had, had her eye on the so organs. So she wanted the organs. I mean, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because obviously that's their job mm. is to identify where there's, you know, opportunity, opportunity because that can save other people, many mm. people's mm. lives. So I don't, she did it in the wrong way. Yeah. You know, I'm sure most of them don't do it in the wrong way because they have to be very sensitive because otherwise, mm. you know, Doing it's the wrong job. terrible. Yeah. yeah. She didn't mm. do her job properly on that day. And I'm, you know, and you I'm, remember that, don't you? Quite I'll never vividly. Forget that. Never yeah. forget that. I can even picture her. And um, so she just, she launched in there too quickly. Um, so anyway, yeah, we, we just left that room and, and they must have just thought, I don't know quite what to do now. But they were kind of saying, you know, we, we, I think they were doing tests on his, on the brainstem just to see. And then eventually they explained to me what was happening because he was on a life support machine. And um, they explained to me that it wasn't, because we were saying, yeah, but alive, people come out they? of comas though. You know, yeah, this right, happens right. all the time. And they were saying, yeah, but he's not in a coma. Mm -hmm. It's, it's low, it's, it's deeper than that. It's like the brain is not operating. And because I remember, I know it sounds crazy, but Jamie and I were kind of, we just had this weird conversation where we were like, oh my God, wouldn't it be great if he was in a coma? Mm, you know, it was yeah, like, yeah. that would be a step up yeah, yeah. If, we, if he yeah. was in a coma. And um, so they explained that, that, and they would do more tests. You know, they would test him every so often to see, and they would take him off to see if, because if, if his body his would own. automatically try. He didn't look good, did he? Was he didn't look no, good. but at yeah. first, I mean, he had, you know, he had bruises and things like that. Mm. But at first I didn't think he, I think, I thought he just looked unconscious mm. at first. I did think that, you know, and I just thought, no. And we kept, we were looking at him all the time. We kept thinking that we saw movements and, you know, I recognise that that was probably involuntary stuff now, but at the time it didn't seem like that. And it may not have been, there might have been the odd movement that wasn't. Mm. I still don't know at what point the brain stem death happened whether it was already there or whether it did happen down the line i don't know but there was no coming back from it that was clear mm. eventually um but i just didn't want to give up because i just thought well it, it, these things happen sometimes and you know no, don't... i remember mm. i remember you know because you asked me to talk to the consultant about trying yeah. to get a second opinion yeah i didn't want to just take their first opinion no because that they were trying to say look this is it switch them off yeah our opinions enough and and you wanted, no, I want to get mm. a second opinion yeah, on this. this is a big decision. I, rem I remember going in with you, with the, mm. with the consultant, and you know, trying to persuade him to give us more time, and yeah. we want to do more research. And I think 
he definitely got a bit more time because I remember yeah, going did, home yeah. and researching, researching how yeah. to bring people out of coma with vitamin C <laughs> and, and all that. We and, wanted to, and Jamie yeah. rang, Jamie contacted uh, Michael, Schumacher's Michael Schumacher's doctor, doctor. right? Yeah. And he was an expert in it. Yeah. And he did say that the two best places for head injuries was where Alan was yeah, and all London. But he said, yeah. if he can get him through until Monday, yeah. he said, you can possibly get, get him a second opinion, but you would have had to move his body. You know, we got to yeah. put him in an ambulance yeah. and it was, yeah. all, it was all a bit too much, wasn't yeah, it, in it the was. end? Yeah. But also, I think, so that was, I can't remember what day that was, Maybe just, Friday, because the accident happened on the Thursday. Yeah. So maybe that was all happening Friday and Saturday. Yeah. But then, and, and people were just around, and I don't. I only thought about it recently. I I didn't really, didn't really. It didn't dawn on me at the time. I just thought people, and, and they probably were just they were there to just support him. Of course, yeah. But it almost was like we were all kind of waiting for some the inevitable to happen, but we didn't know we were. But you were you fighting know? for his life. Yeah. You? And you know, I, I hope. I hope I have someone fighting for my life like you fought for Alan's and mm. I really mean that. It Thank was you. it mm. was a valiant, valiant effort and you know, everyone was there to give you the support yeah. that you needed in order to give him his best chance, you mm. know. And you did. You did. Thank you. Mm. And then um I think so and Sonny was there as well, you know, mm. he was there and we didn't sort of I don't know what I don't know how you know how he saw it and how it affected mm. him, but I think on that Sunday I remember, um, you know, obviously all the, you know, loads of the artists were still there. People were coming and going and stuff. And Joe was in the other room. And I remember going into the ward and sitting next to Alan and I could see a difference. I knew mm. he was going. It mm. was not the same. And you could see, it, it was like the life force was leaving. I could see yeah. it. Yeah. You know, his face looked different and it just wasn't the same. Time to go. Yeah. Mm. And I just thought, oh, no, he's, he's going. So, um, so then I was all right. About it, I mean, it wasn't all right. Obviously, devastated. Yeah. But I accepted that that what was, was happening, mm. and that yeah, this machine's not going to keep him alive. Mm. You know, so that was when it happened. And as I say, that would have been the time when maybe that conversation with the woman, mm. if she'd have been a bit more uh, sensitive, could have happened. But in some ways, she gave you the motivation to you know pull up a, pull up a fight at least. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. She did. She got me. She got you going, yeah, didn't she? she? Did. Yeah, yeah, she got the adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. I suppose so. Uh, yeah, so that's when you know. So that's when it happened. Mm. On this I was Sunday. devastated. I mean, yeah. I don't think I've been affected by someone's death as much as I was by Alan's. It was yeah. real big loss, obviously, you no know, incomparable so... to, to yours. But uh, and Sonny's, but it was like mm. you know, he was a really dear friend and major influence on my yeah. life. And such know? a big, powerful yeah. personality yeah. that it was like it's just like that doesn't make sense how, that that personality can. I just... was so gutted. Yeah, but um, yeah, but it, it was. You know, that was a real horrible, tragic way mm. for him to go. And he was obviously taken way too soon. And he'd have been so angry. Yeah, you know. You know, because yeah. he, he obviously thought, he always thought that he had a ticket, like a free mm. ticket because he'd been through stuff. Mm. He naively thought that that meant that he was immune to more tragedy mm. because he's already been, so been through like it with, his, with his brother and his mum and then his dad had died a few years later. And they, yeah. I mean, they were... You know, in Anglesey, they were like dying all the time. Mm. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah, who else? It's a weird is place in Anglesey, though, isn't it? Left? Yeah, yeah, it's a weird place. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it was like he thought that that had given him this sort of invincibility. You know, invincibility thing. So he would have been like, no, 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 mm. you've made a mistake. You know, but there is a mystery over the circumstances that led up to his death, isn't yeah. there? We don't really know what happened. 
No. And there's speculation. And I remember after he passed, you know, me, you, Joe, and um, and Jamie, and Jamie mm. went to investigate the, the crash the site. site. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because um, it was just, it didn't make sense, like, because he was such a proficient cyclist and it was a big, it wasn't like a, some side road, it was a big dual carriageway that yeah. was, you know, main route into Liverpool from Prescott and the other way. And... Because it didn't make sense, the, the actual accident itself. So what, how did that happen? There and was no damage to the actual bike. No. Which was weird. You know, well, really when, when we got it back, it was like, the, the, well, the police said that it had been checked by forensics and mm. it wasn't, didn't look like an impact had happened to it, which was peculiar. Mm. So we couldn't, we didn't know. Why it was and who found him? Well, as it turns out, there was no CCTV on the road. But there was. Like, we went looking, but it was off. It was off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was off. Um, and... There were several of them that were all off, I think. There was yeah. a couple a couple of main points where they weren't working. So I think you and Joe and Jamie went knocking on doors to see if anybody had private CCTV. And there was one house that did. Yeah. But it was just prior to the accident. So like No, he was, did show us. So, he did, didn't he? Yeah, so we sat in his bedroom and he replayed it. So you saw Alan go I past. Think, I think he might have even said the police had been previous, maybe. Oh, to check but, it, um, yeah. So you see Alan riding past mm. on a dual carriageway. Yeah. Right? And then about... 20 seconds later, 20 seconds later yeah. a police car a car yeah i think there was after. another car as well there was a red car somewhere yeah, but it wasn't it was the, was that after, it the, was police after car? the police car ah uh, was it yeah so the, it was alan then police, police car, and then another and then car a red car and then maybe a few hundred yards up was from that where it happened was where it happened yeah but there was no left turns going into it there was so, no left turns going into it but what there was on the opposite side of the dual carriageway was a was a slip road. A road that came onto the dual carriageway. Mm. So if you were wanting to come onto the dual carriage carriageway and go right, that's where it would have that. It wasn't it the been police that found him. It was the police that found him. So so he had come off his bike and they basically it must have been seconds later, is there mm. in, yeah. <laughs> on the floor and they um So what 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 they said is that the Accident had happened seconds before they just before they, literally yeah literally just before they got to the scene. So we'd been there no more than seconds, mm -hmm. according to them, before they um, found him. And as it happened, yeah, very. And as it happened, there because you would think that to be some kind of commotion or something, mm -hmm. you know, but nobody saw it. There was nothing. But then they spotted an ambulance coming down the other way. And they flagged down the ambulance and the ambulance did a U-turn and came. Two weird coincidences yeah. that, isn't it? The yeah. police and the ambulance and the being ambulance. on the site, yeah. So now the, the police were supposed to be on um, on a call out, but they weren't, like, it wasn't sirens and mm. speed. It was, oh no, I don't think they were on a call out. They, that was the type of vehicle that they were in, but it was not, um, they said they weren't actually speeding to go somewhere. So I don't mm. know what they were doing. Um, but anyway, so that apparently... They find him seconds after it's happened, flag down this ambulance. The ambulance gets him, you know, does some CPR on him, gets him in the ambulance and off to the hospital. Mm. So, uh, you know... So if you piece together what happened, what you'd have is based upon the evidence that we know, which is only limited, yeah. is that Alan is along a dual carriageway and then there's police behind him yes. because we see that on the video. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then and somewhere between that, that happening and that happening... Alan comes off his bike. Yeah. And either he's knocked off his bike. Yeah. Yeah. Or he has a mechanical failure on the bike. Yeah. And therefore or maybe something swerved and he's, yeah. you know, it's made him without touching yeah. the bike and he's come off it. Mm. Or we, 
the, the other possibility was that it... The red car hit him, but the police had seen that. Could be that. Or um, there was a grid that was uneven, that maybe the tyre had got stuck in that. And so we were clutching... We'll never know. Was, we we'll c- never we know. We can't know. And yeah. Joe, you know... And it's I know so we, frustrating at yeah, the time, because yeah. I remember we were like... like Private investigators trying to piece together Joe what was happened. obsessed with like yeah. time and motion and yeah. all the rest of it. He had it all like plotted down and well, if he got to there, and then mm. that, you know, and it was just, it was just ridiculous. Mm. And then I was thinking, well, you know, if there's a, somebody, in my mind, it was the red car, you know, yeah. for ages. I was like, it's the red car. They mm. know they've done it and they're driving around. It's on their conscience. And I thought, they might not. If, they, mm. if Even if it was the people in the red car, they might not know what they've left behind. Yeah. You know, and... Who knows what happened? We never found out. We'll never, we'll never know either. We'll never know, no, unless Alan we, comes. We meet gives him us some once kind of again. Message. You know, after yeah. after our time on this mortal coil, let's hope he's up in the great gig in the sky. I know. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's yeah. discarded his space yeah. suit, which yeah. he always talked about. And um, great guy, loved him, mm. absolutely loved him. And then it was his funeral, and I've got to say that was the. The best funeral I've ever been to. It, it, was, was, it was the coolest funeral. Again, funeral. it was like going to a gig. Yeah. And uh, you, you're done and proud. It was oh. a it was a Volkswagen uh, Volkswagen uh, camper, camper van, van brought a in white one, uh, cream one, if I remember yeah. rightly. Yeah, and a wicker basket. And a wicker basket for a coffin, which was yeah. you know super cool. And it was in the the uh, uh, the woodland, yeah. Green Acres woodland thing, which had a beautiful like modern building. Do you remember with the yeah. The glass thing, and they had um, great service. It was a brilliant really playlist fun. and yeah. all of that. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was and all the music, wasn't it? it was Someone packed. did an edit of all the the videos of him because there was yeah. an interview with him, wasn't that? Did that play? Yeah, um, yeah. I think. Um, oh, yeah. Somebody, a friend of ours, made a collage, like a sort of co- Dom, a montage. Dom. Dom. Dom Foster yeah. made a montage of you know things of like um, videos of him in bands in top. And yeah, stuff it was like that. it was cool. And then um, and it was it was I remember the walk up to the burial and it was it was literally in a in a forest, wasn't it? it was like yeah, a, a light it kind of reminded me of the Wicker Man. <laughs> yeah, a video. little bit. Yeah, but he was you know, in a Wicker Basket. Like trailing, yeah, that's right. Trailing up to the thing. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me of that a little bit. Oh. And then yeah, and so everybody kind of like it's almost like a party around the mm. you know the the like the gravesite which is a bit weird mm. you know but everybody was kind of it was all a bit yeah just before we go any further i think we should do a toast at this point make a, a toast toast to, to alan, alan wills yeah to alan. hope he's watching yeah his space suit or <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool yeah <laughs> well that's not the end of the story no yeah so even though it felt like it was a supernova and a star mm-hmm. collapsed in on itself, um, you carried on and you kept Delta Sonic going and uh, continued Alan's legacy. So he was developing Vril Society. Yeah. Were they called Vril Society? That Not point? at that point. They were okay. going to do the Vril Society uh, night, mm. but they hadn't changed the name to that. Mm. And we were trying to work out what they should be called because they knew that it wasn't going to be serotonin. It was serotonin for that transitional period. And um, we so all... tell me about the the aftermath of of Alan no longer being around, yeah. and, and like how you came to terms with the loss, but also the project, which was still you know his name, wasn't yeah. it? Well, I think it was probably a little bit easier for me because I was kind of involved a little bit before it happened because mm. I I think anyway from what I can remember I'd go down to rehearsal room with him sometimes so I was aware of what was going on and I was a fan mm. I loved the music mm. I loved 
I loved the Dutch rivers, but I loved what it was turning into as well. So I was genuinely into it. Mm. And obviously I was very close to Joe and Joe and I, were, you know, clinging on to each other really because, you know, it was... They like were like huge. brothers, weren't they? Joe, they were, and, Joe and, and Alan. And Joe was absolutely bloody They were just like us. that. They yeah, were so close. They were. Yeah. He felt it really strong, yeah. you know, really heavy, heavily. Did you consider just like ending um, Delta Sonic at that point? What, what was it that made you decide to carry on? I just it? didn't think about... You just carried on. I just it? carried on. I knew that they... And, I don't think it was a it was a, a rational thought. I mm-hmm. need something to do or mm-hmm. anything like that. It was just kind of, it was just there and it had to be done. And the they were lost unfinished. and we, we were all lost and we were like yeah. needed some. Yeah, we did need something to do, but we didn't think of it that way. It was just like, well, let's just get this done. You know, let's mm-hmm. carry on. And I don't, I can't remember whether we had a meeting about it or whether we just like, well, what's going to happen now and shall we carry on? I think it probably did happen like that, mm-hmm. where we we made a conscious decision to keep going. But, you know, it was Alan's thing to develop them. But also Joe was involved. He would go down with Alan a lot, you know, down to the rehearsal room. So Joe knew the direction that they were taking. And he was, you know, he kind of then stood in for Alan in that respect. Um, And I, you know, I also got involved in that. I'd come down to the rehearsal room and, you know, tell them which one, which tracks I was into and not. And Mm. maybe, you know, things like that. So it... We just we just got involved and and I remember that first week actually, I think it was the first week, they were playing. Um, they had a gig somewhere in town. I can't remember where the place was, and and we went to it. Joe and I and um, I can't remember where Jamie came. We went to this gig, and it was the maddest storm. It was just like a, a ridiculous thunderstorm. And I remember we were all shocked and you know in this mad headspace. But we went to this gig and it was weird. I think it was only days after it had happened and it was all mm. just like mental. And, you know, there was this, it just made it even more weird that there was this big, like really crazy thunderstorm going on. And we went and watched them. And I don't know what people must have, mm. you know, you're not aware of how people are, you know, mm. are, are looking at you or whatever. They must have, oh God, what's going on in their heads? You know, not, I don't mean like judging me for being there. I of mean, course. like. I just don't know, you know, but we, we just were there and it was like, it was, it was actually a, a brilliant gig from what I can remember. And then we just carried on we just carried on. And then mm. it was like, and I got more and more involved and then, you know, the music was getting better and better. And, I, and, and then I was getting more excited about it and it was helping me to get through this period because it was mm. keeping me busy. Um, Sonny and I had obviously come back from France and we were living over in, um, on the Wirral in a little cottage and, um, so yeah, we just we just cracked on and we kept going down the rehearsal room and then you know just like I think it's great though I think it's great that his his, his legacy was continued and mm. there was unfinished business yeah, wasn't there it was his thing it wasn't like yeah. it was a brand new thing that he and it was like almost it was it was part of his comeback yeah right? it was the yeah. energy that he he needed to revive mm. guitar music and mm. Delta Sonic and mm. it was all part of the project and I think it's it's a really um, it's a really good part of the story that mm. there is a... It didn't end. It didn't end at no, that point. No. That, you know, it continued and yeah. Delta Sonic had more to do and more to say. Yeah. And, and it was from him starting that yeah. that process with them. And, you know, and they all bloody loved him, you know, mm. as all of the artists did. They mm. absolutely, um, you know, Mikey probably, you know, he's a very sensitive mm. boy, but they all absolutely adored Alan and respected him and again trusted yeah. him. And listened to his advice. Well, you and they knew did. he wouldn't stab you in the back. That's no, what it was. They you knew. Could, you can yeah. trust him with, yeah. with your with your secrets. Yes. You know, he's a confidant as well as a yeah. friend. You oh, can yeah. tell him stuff. You know? Yeah. 
So I think they were, um, we were just all in this shock yeah. thing and we were just all wanting to just keep going and keep going and nobody quite knew wh where it was going to go. Mm. Actually, I think I hadn't moved back from France properly because I was thinking, I, I remember being in France and them sending me stuff, you know, they'd go into rehearsals or whatever and then they'd send me tracks and I'd be like, right, okay. And then I got all the contacts that I knew from Alan, you know, and from Sony and stuff like that. And, and this is not 2015, isn't it? Or, or uh, late yeah, 2014. 2014 when the accident happened. So this kind of was throughout the rest of, it was May mm. so of 2014. So this was still, you know, in 2014 when all this was okay, happening. Because yeah. it was like, we just continued. Straight, yeah. There was no break. Yeah. And um, so then it became about, well, we haven't got any money to do this. Like, we, you know, we want to do an mm. album and all the rest of it and, and touring. I don't even know how we got, I think, I think we borrowed money from the parents. I think put money into them touring. Mm. You know, we, we all kind of chipped in together. Yeah. You know, it was really on a shoestring, you know, but we, we, we got them gigs and all the rest of it. And so we just, we just kept going on and like just keeping going and just like keep swimming and, you know, and it was just kind of like the money will come somehow. Mm. And then we got them a gig with, um, I think, I think, um, it was Blossoms, I think we got them a gig with, and I knew the agent, um, that I was going to invite was, I knew him anyway from previous bands that, you know, that he'd worked with. So it was Charlie Myers. And, um, so we knew him, but I also knew Charlie was very honest. He, he wouldn't take on anything that he he wouldn't mm. just do it for like favor. Yeah, yeah. feeling sorry for me. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It would be like no, <laughs> if it's not good, yeah. we can't do it. And and it, he would have a team of people who would give the thumbs up or not. Um, they liked what they heard, so it was enough for him. He was, I think, he was coming up for blossoms anyway. Mm. But he, because um, I think he was either their agent at the time or was going to be. So there was um, at this gig anyway where they supported the uh, blossoms, and he there was another band we had on which was what Dustland ended up being. Can't remember what they ended up being called, but they were on as well. Mm. Um, he didn't go for them, but on like after the gig, he said, yeah, I want them, you know, I want to sign them. So we got Charlie Myers as their agent. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this wow. is happening. So that was the first time when I thought this might happen now. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, up to then... You're, at the, you're at the end of a cycle of guitar music as well by yeah, that point, where right? yeah, so, yeah. it was becoming more difficult, I guess, to mm -hmm. make it as a band. Because, Maybe so. Yeah, I think Tame and Parlour were happening and all of that. There was a bit of that yeah. going on. and um, But yeah, mm. you know, probably still it was... Definitely become more difficult. Stuff, yeah. so, it was. so when Charlie said yes, I was like, oh my God, uh -huh. thank God. Is that an exciting moment for yeah, you? Yeah, it really was. I felt yeah. really good about that. And, yeah. Um, and I trusted Charlie as well and I got on with him. He was a really nice mm. guy and I knew he would do right by them. So they they got them some good tours, you know. And um, so they toured with Blossoms for a bit. Then, you know, we we got them out there. We, we I think we released a couple of Did singles. you record the album at this point? No, because we didn't have the money to record the okay, album. So it was just still, like, let's just keep going, go with the Still trying to build the buzz, trying to find the, the, the money to, to get the to album get the recorded. Album done. They had the songs though, yeah? Uh, yeah, but they were still writing them. They okay, were still, yeah. but they had most of them. We were trying to work out what would be yeah, on, the, on, the, on the record, but yeah. they were developing all the time as well. So it was changing, like the tone of mm. the whole thing was changing a bit, but 
it was kind of coming together where they wanted it to was be. It, was it like was it, uh, posing a difficult challenge to find the money in order to make the record? Is yeah, that but what I didn't the, think about that. Yeah. It was just like, that'll happen. That'll happen. Yeah, it was like, yeah. it was... If because you're an independent that, at this point, right? Your Delta yeah. Sonic didn't have any backing from any major label. No. This was purely just an independent label. Yeah. yeah. And the funny thing was, I kind of, I had to go and have meetings and I hadn't done that before. Okay, yeah. Because that was all Alan's yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, as, I don't know what they thought, whether they were this grieving widow coming down, like to mm. have a meeting with us. And, and I don't think they did think you that. You fronted but it though, didn't you? I did, but <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. I just went down. Was you dealing was like, with any people that you dealt with in the past? I hadn't really dealt with them, like, yeah. directly. It was always Alan. I kind of maybe knew some of them via Alan. Mm. Maybe I'd met some of them at certain things, but I didn't know them. Mm. Um, I knew Mike Smith. He was in publishing through, I knew mm. through Alan, but um, no, there was a few. I can't even remember who they are now, but... So big challenge. Yeah, I was big going challenge. down to London. It was like the big, yeah. you know... Get, I don't know, know that feeling, yeah. Small town girl going down to the big smoke, <laughs> the you know. Big, yeah, the Alan big buildings. Was used to it, yeah. but it's like, it was a bit nerve-wracking. But then I did know some people because there was, like, Nick Burgess, mm. who was, you know, the guy that um, Alan managed in, you know, in Gluebound, and he'd then gone on to be... I think he was head of Virgin at the time, maybe MD mm. at Virgin. So I knew some people who had developed over the course of the time. And what I did know about Nick, even though when I first knew Alan, uh, you know, Nick was quite sort of... Um, I'd say reserved, you know, he'd phone up Alan and it was always like, hi, is Alan there? And we didn't really know each other. We didn't connect as such. But boy, when Alan died, he, he was, was like, he you. was there. He was like on the phone. He was devastated. He really was. Alan, I think even Alan would have been surprised. You know, mm. Alan knew, you know, that he got on really well with Nick. But I think he'd have been surprised with how, how it affected a lot of people. But mm. even, you know, Nick was just so devastated and he was, he was on the phone to me. He kept, you know, he rang me to see if I was all right. He was so good. And so he would always take my call. You know, I didn't talk to him about any of that at the beginning, but mm. like when I needed to go and see people, I did call Nick and he was like, yep, absolutely. I wasn't used to kind of doing that thing of, mm. of going down and sort of, and I didn't really know what I was asking for either. <laughs> you know, I just for wanted just money. You know, yeah. I, I kind of wanted them to kind but of... But you did get it. Well, you got some money, didn't you? Well, there was a it, it deal ended that you up did. where we got it through um, doing a publishing deal with, so Charlie, Charlie, the Myers, manager, uh, to the, the agent, agent yeah. he didn't, he wasn't into publishing at the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether he set up the publishing because he really wanted a vehicle to, you know, to help. He knew that we needed money. Mm. So um, I'm sure he was planning to do it anyway, you know, but anyway, he set up a publishing company and did a publishing deal for us with the uh, Royal Society. And then that paid for the paid album for the album to be made. Well, tell us a little bit about the, um, the making of the album and, what you remember about that was it an exciting was time was it a stressful yeah, time it was it, all of it yeah all yeah. of it yeah because we were doing personalities like but also it was the first record under delta sonic that didn't have alan at the helm at the helm didn't it? yeah to do that you know just between us it was that yeah. it was a new experience completely and how long did it take to to record i reckon by about a year because I think it was around 2017 when we did publishing. But it's it's just, it's a beautiful record and, you know, I it's, absolutely it's, it's love awesome. it. It's awesome. It's like, I'm so, I'm so happy that we've come back together because I haven't seen you in years, yeah, right? Yeah. And I went off in a different direction, mm -hmm. obviously, and we all did. And I haven't, I hadn't even heard the record. No. Right? And I didn't, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a real surprise to listen to it. I was like, wow, this is so good. So advanced so from where good. it started. Yeah. And, and... Um, it was the sophistication of the music. Yeah. 
but also Mikey's vocal on it yeah, is just beautiful. Yeah, yeah, like angelic, like you and said. Angelic. And it's quite a journey from this like very guttural, hard yeah. um, rock and roll sound that he had originally to yeah, so this beautiful ethereal sort of yeah, sound. There's some really, really good tracks some, on there. You know, it did help that you know we had um, like uh, Steve Lamack was mm. a big fan. You know, we had Dave Monks. I have to give Dave Monks mm. a shout. You know, because he has been fit. For years, Dave Monks has been champion of, of artists from Liverpool. You know, he's yeah. brilliant. I think he's under undervalued or whatever. You know, yeah. he's he's um, like a local John Peel, isn't he? I suppose. Yeah, he's brilliant, yeah. Dave Monks. He's such a nice guy, and he, he will. You know, he supports wherever he can, and he really did. He, mm. I think, he recommended them mm. for Six Music plays or whatever. And Steve Lamatt picked up on them. He loved them, and then he recommended them for South by Southwest in Texas. Mm. Um, and then at that point it was getting to the point, you know, we had the agent, we had um, publishing deal was being talked about um, and then, you know, we just got this South by Southwest thing and then I found out that Rob Swerdlow liked the Real Society and I felt like I'd, I'd got to this point where, you know, I say, got the agent, everything's in place, mm. we've got the, you know, we know what the record's going to be, it's all, it's all looking good, we've got Steve Lamack on board, we've got South by Southwest, everything is there. I feel like I might need somebody else who's got the big boots. And, you know, and we did really, like, we we bonded, uh, me and Rob, you know, okay. once we got to know each other, it was like, we had a great laugh. You know, yeah. I really, really, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of, of Rob, and we got on really well, and we, you know, he He's knew. He's a cool guy. Yeah, and, you know, mm. he, he, he stayed in the background to the point where, you know, he knew that mm. it, the record was... He didn't stay totally in the background. Obviously, we had meetings with the band, you know, and he gave them advice and things like that. But, you know, he didn't kind of interfere in terms of, 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 of too much stuff that had already been done. Mm. And he was kind of ready to just kind of move in when need mm. be. And, um, you know, and he was obviously supportive when, the, you know, the album was being made and stuff like that in terms mm. of, you know, giving his sort of advice as a you know, sort of experienced mm. manager, you know, if it was needed. So, you know, it was, it was good having him on board and it was good for me to have that sound on board. Joe was in the studio a lot with the with the band, but I didn't have Alan. If I had a bad Alan, I wouldn't be doing it. Of course. But yeah, I didn't have, I needed going. that yeah. person to kind of just say, don't worry, mm. you know, whatever. Great, great the fact that you've released the album. Awesome. It was a completion. Mm. It was a completion of, you know, the legacy that Alan had created with Delta Sonic. But it, it, Delta Sonic has, has got a final chapter, mm. if you like. And it was this gig for the Vril Society. Oh, for the album. Yeah, because um, it's unusual that you can close the book on a story. But mm. I think we can with yeah, Delta so. Sonic yeah. largely. And, and it was brilliant. You know, we'd released the album. We did have a, you sold out a the O2, was it? for it, but we um, then we went and had a, an actual gig for it, and it was, um, yeah, we sold out. Mm. Um, you know, it was packed, and it was just wonderful. And all the parents were there, and we'd all been on this journey together. You know, mm. they 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 were all devastated about Alan as well, and they didn't know whether the kids were going to, you know, break up the band or whatever. And it, we were we were all in it together, and um, and I, you know, we were just all there, and it was just we all looked at each other, and it was like. Oh, well, go and listen great. to it. Anyone that's listening, go Absolutely. and find them on, on yeah. Spotify. It's a really great record. I loved it. Yeah. Um, so, what an amazing story. No. Yeah, we only just touched on it, really, didn't we? There's mm. so much more we can talk about, and there's so many other bands that we can go into. Yeah, and, sorry for any bands that we didn't uh, mention, yeah, but it's just not Unfortunately, time. I'm, I'm on a clock. And yeah. What do you think Alan would make of 
um, the current state of music, guitar music, or um, the rebellious spirit that we come to think is in guitar music because i know recently there's been a few question marks over mm. you know what, what, what a band's actually about these days yeah. I, mean, I mean what is the I identity think he would of be music absolutely head wrecked by all of it yeah i think he would because there's no clear there's no clear um other to rebel against for kids i don't think no. you know i was talking to somebody um about this and we were just saying it's like now you know whereas in you know the old days like the old school rebels it would mm. be you know rebelling against the parents in general you know stuff and you know being a bit raucous about it maybe mm. and you know well it was always meant to be a, a you know a, anti-establishment a, a, against authority it was yes. it was you know music and being in a band represented the ultimate freedom yeah it's that you weren't working for the man Right, you were making music. That mm. was I. I was expressing myself in the world. Yeah, I wasn't no slave. I wasn't no you know person who was just being controlled by these mm. authority figures. And they had the freedom through their role and their status to be able to give two fingers to the man. Yeah, on behalf of everybody else, yeah. because most people couldn't, because they had to go and do the, the drudgery of the day to day job. So that's mm. why you know they became, they had the freedom to do that. And the, the hero that. worship was given to them because they mm. were doing it on yeah. behalf yeah. of yeah. us. Yeah, right. And I feel as if there's a disconnect. Yeah, and maybe that's why we're at the end of a guitar music cycle because. There's no heroes. There's there's no rebels. Is there really? I mean, there's one or two out there. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know what it is. I don't know yeah. what it is. I don't know whether the themes have changed. I don't know because mm. it's, it's the politics that have changed. I think I, I was speaking to this person and we, he was saying about how, you know, when he was a kid, it would be you know smoking was still being advertised and there was all the, you know all, all the stuff that his the pre previous generation parents mm. were kind of okay with. You know that that's clearly seen as really bad now. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll isn't really cool anymore, is it? No, it's the opposite. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, opposite, it's like yeah. no, you've got to be healthy. We've got to save the yeah. planet. We've got all of these really good, is... wholesome things. It's yeah. like Safi and Abab, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's all it's all subverted reversed, now. It's all yeah. reversed, and it's like, but what is everybody rebelling against? But do you think that maybe that's why guitar music is is going through a bit of a struggle at the moment? Is that is that does guitar music naturally lend itself to that idea of sex, drugs, and rock and roll? And because that's maybe. not really cool anymore. Oh, maybe that's why. So they're, that, they're dinosaurs because that's what that's not relevant. That's to not that relevant. And the, 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 the guitar music, until someone comes along to reinvent what it means to play guitar and, yeah. and, or and guitar music, use something else to yeah. to express that rebelliousness, which I'm sure is happening. No, the different no. genres have kind of taken over, haven't they? Because yeah. what were you telling me before about? Um, grime and hip-hop is the... Oh, well, I mean, it's not my... I don't know anything about it. But me it's neither. Just, you know, so let's not go there too far. Yeah. But no, you know, somebody who does was just basically saying that, you know, that it, it, it is hip... The whole thing is a hip-hop mm. now, isn't it? But mm. different strands of it. And he was saying that grime is particularly region, a mm. regional genre, which mm. is regional within regional, because it's it's London, but it's a region within London as mm. well. So it's very... It's not the same well, in America. Music is an expression of the culture that we live in, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and... Uh, it's trying to find what the next expression of our culture is, of what it is that you know we're about. I think that's it's going to be it's, interesting. It's just mad. It it's just to. like to me, you look. I I don't know if I was a kid now. I mm. don't know. I wouldn't know who was rebelling again. Left has turned to right, in my opinion. Yeah. Left has gone right. Right's gone left. Mm. And I don't know who who are the baddies anymore. Well, it's for me. It's like you know. Um, massive corporations, as as we see the centralization of more and more corporations, so few and fewer people owned 
smaller number of corporations, including the music, mm. is that it's very difficult to be a, um, a free voice working within that framework. Because if you want to be able to carry on. Ultimately, and, and they're like, you know, if you say anything that's out of line, you're not getting a deal, you're not getting access to, to the resources. But my opinion is if you're a true artist, you don't give a shit about that. Is it easier now for an independent artist to make a living or a yeah. career? You know, I think it is, yeah. Because you know, yeah. we've got a lot of respect for Ian McNabb. Oh, yeah. Right? Because Ian McNabb makes a record once a year mm. himself, himself mm. off his own back, yeah. tours it, yeah. right? And makes a living. Makes a, makes a living, Good right? So he, he can mm. carry on doing what he loves doing yeah. and being a free, proper, true yeah. rock star. Yeah. You know, I, I love him. I've got massive respect mm. for him. But so I, I wondered if, you know, if. Um, streaming as the new way of it's actually opened up that does freedom it? i don't people. know no, it does yeah because yeah. i mean we, well i mean we've got a connection with spotify for a start because we've mm. got um brian from the dead 60s who was the drummer the drummer yeah is now, well like, great he, guy he, he, he got his super cool guy similar thing to alan in terms of decided right i've done the band thing mm. i'm going to get into the industry he was one of the people in the band who would like take notice at meetings. Yeah, he knew like the people to you know connect. Had his eye on when, the prize, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, you know he yeah. knew you know he was he was on it. So when he moved down to London, he knew who to take me, you know, who to try and get meetings with. And mm. then I can't remember. Oh, he went to PRS. He had a job at PRS for a while, mm. and then Spotify started. I think two thousand and eight. Um, I think it was some time like that. And he, he got a job there. So mm. he's been there from like quite early. I think it was maybe going about five years before Brian So he knows started. the game inside out. He's been out. there for about 10 years, nine years. So he's grown with Spotify and he's got a really good job. So he knows how it works. Because Matt, who was in Dead 60s with Matt, Mac, Manaman, Matt, you've got too, Ma many Ma Manaman. you've got too many M's in your name. <laughs> All right, um, he's doing something similar in terms of what we're saying about McNabb. He's you know, as a single self solo artist, yeah. self-releasing, can be done, and he's doing done, well. Yeah. yeah, and if you and if you know how to operate, you know, and Spotify do, and you know, there's other streaming sites, obviously, but mm. you know, that's the one that everybody knows, isn't it? And that's um, it's the main one, and that they do workshops, they they you know they they engage with yeah. artists to help them because it obviously pays off for them because they're getting more content, mm. but they work with artists to show them how to capitalize on it and how to get playlists and how to get on other people's playlists and, you know, increase you your the, stream the, levels. The, the, the old model of record labels really was a marketing operation. It was, was a how to get the, the record to market, to sell units. It was a mixture of that and being a bank. And being a bank. Yeah. yeah. Funding and then marketing and promoting and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So what do you think the future of uh, music is? Is you know, uh, Not a clue. I don't even know the future of anything anymore. I, know, I, I just wouldn't know. even know where to start with the music. Mm. Yeah, I, don't even, I don't even know. I don't know mm. is the answer. Are you, are you hopeful that there will be a revival of the type of music that we grew up with, that we li like and we love? You know, the um, things that turn me on musically, that it seems to be I don't know like it's just I'm, a memory, although whether I'm just like turning into I think a dad, a dad rock. Go. I think I think it's I think we've got to a point in the in in um the world with everything, you know, the whole sort of transition, the whole sort of mm. technology thing and everything. It's just changed mm. and you can't want that back. You mm. know, you have to just allow things to go. It might be fun if it did happen, but I don't I don't I'm not hopeful and I'm mm. not really I don't think I'm bothered whether okay, that happens. Right. Yeah, yeah, I don't okay, mean yeah. like I don't. No, I'm, I get I'm not yeah, asked. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. It's not something that I think, yeah. oh, I wish. Yeah. That was well, well for, for me, I was so disappointed with some 
people who I really loved and respect the music of over over the last few years, and yeah. it was like something good has got to come from that, yeah, because right? it was so disappointing, mm. right? And I think you know, hopefully that will be a catalyst for you know uh, a new uh, a new adventure with uh, kids who want to change the world. What I would like to see music. is that I'd like to see artists i'd like to see the energy and i'd like to see a bit of rebelliousness yeah that's what i want to see of course i don't want to see people just being corporate corporate mm. you know homogenized mm. frightened corporate owned basically yeah owned don't want to see that it was meant, meant to be the opposite be about. of that wasn't it yeah. there's always that there yeah. as well you know you've yeah. always had your mr blobbies in the top 10 yeah you know but no that's if i'm hopeful for anything it's that the rebelliousness will is there and will show itself and, and change things so as the custodian of the Delta Sonic back catalogue, what's, what, what's your kind of like hopes and dreams with the catalogue moving forward? Do you, do you have any, you know, ideas of releases or anything like that? What's... Well, there'll be re-releases and there'll be things that, you know, obviously like anniversary mm. um, issues and things like that. I mean, the Delta Sonic, um, sorry, the Carl's Carl. debut album, 20 Years Today. So we'll be, there'll be a Zootons one, mm. um, you know, so we'll be looking at promoting that. Next year, I guess, isn't it? That. Zootons yeah. one, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not on Delta Sonic as such because mm. it's sort of licensed to Sony, but there'll be things around it. Mm. Um, and we may do some, you know, some some stuff like that. And then there's always, you know, there's, there's hidden gems that haven't even been released that I'm, okay. you know, that I'm looking at doing. And then we might even do a book. There's There's things to do. Great. You know, to tell the story and, you know, so we were thinking of doing some, some kind of book with, you know, artwork and various, you know, sort of things like that. And James Slater's nice. just done a film, hasn't he? With James Dick Carl? Slater, yeah, he's just done a um, like a documentary yeah. of, uh, well, is it a documentary or a film? It's lots of animation, I think. About in it. the, the, the It's about the, the Carl rather than Delta Sonic, so yeah. it's kind of to celebrate that. And I think that will be probably uh, coming out either late this year, mm. 2023, I mean. And then they might do a little tour around that. So things like that is what Del Sonic are going to do. Unless something just ridiculous turns up. Turned yeah. up and it was like, and no one else was onto it. And I was yeah. like, oh, you know, gotta do it. you've got to do this. And mm. I'll give somebody a ring and see what they want to do. So where can fans find you, find Delta Sonic, uh, the music, if they want to go on? So they know. can go on our website. There'll be a Del Sonic store. Mm -hmm. So Instagram, we have, in, you know, Delsonic on Instagram and Facebook. So social media, website, um, and, the, you know, the store will be on the website so people can buy from there. And what about you? Are you on Instagram or Facebook? Where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram and Facebook, just Anne Heston. Okay, I'll put yeah. the links in the description below. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, there was just, just one more thing. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, there was a rumour going around Liverpool that Alan's real father may have been one of the most successful musicians in Liverpool's history is there can you shed well, any light on that rumor well there was a rumor there was a rumor it came he didn't even know about the rumor yeah. because it was auntie it was after his death after it, his it, death, it came his auntie out said I'm sure his dad might can't name the person obviously because we don't know so all I'll say is maybe we should let it be <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm so grateful that you gave me this opportunity oh. to chat to you about it I've loved it every minute of oh, it I've and, enjoyed uh, it too long oh yeah mm. it's been great and uh, I look forward to the next one yeah and Heston thanks so much for coming on the show thank you we Delta Sonic started it was called EVA first and that was for about you know 18 months or something and it was started you know pretty much on New Year's Eve 
the, the millennium. And then we were doing hip hop and we put out three 10 inches. And because um, we didn't have any money or distribution or anything. And that got us a distribution deal with Pinnacle. And then I just thought, right, I've had enough of this. I want to do guitars. And I sort of had an instinct that there hadn't been any great guitar bands for a while. And that you can, you can tell if you're older, you can tell when the climate's going to change. So I sort of knew it was going to change. And then I went to see Peasy, a friend of mine who was running a rehearsal studio. And there was this bunch of kids there and they were playing pool. And they just had that absolute cocksure you know, confidence. In order to release the record, I needed to get them a manager first and start the whole thing. But no one was interested, so in the end, I did it myself. Basically, everyone loved the band, but the band was sort of signed to Delta Sonic, or so everybody thought. We thought they were, but the truth is, they were never signed to Delta Sonic. You know, and I was managing them at the time, so we couldn't actually have them signed to us. So it turned into Welcome Sound the Coral, like, you know, trying to do a label deal with us. And really, that started out at a small level. And it took a while to do. And the great thing is, if you if you if you're heading in the right direction, it takes a while. Every week, your hand gets stronger. Well, at the same time, we had the Zootons. James from the Coral was saying to me, "You know, this this guy is great." And I was saying, "I've seen his band, they're crap. I don't like them at all." And anyway, so he said, "No, you've got to hear his solo stuff." So we played him the stuff. And Dave was like 19 or something at the time. And I went, "That's great. We love it." And then over the next probably two months, he put together a band. And it, we were lucky at that time that you know Liverpool hadn't kicked off. So there was a lot of good musicians around, so he managed to get all the good ones in his band. He got Russ and Shaw and Boise. And then they were playing as a four-piece for a while. But I don't think it was till Abby joined that they, they became the Zootons properly. And how do you feel Delta Sonic has affected the kind of music scene in Liverpool? As I said before, it's I think the, you're here in, in spite I think it of gives the music everyone, scene. It gives everyone, it brings everyone together in that there's a focus on someone for them to hate. 